one of the rats is snoring very loudly. It's very cute, but uh, it's very loud when the fan's not on. It's also very rat poopy now. everyone welcome to another episode uh, a very special episode of radio free golgotha uh hi i'm al uh, i'm here with jesse by by here i mean on the same zoom call uh, it's kind of lonely right we've we've had we've had a few episodes with people well two and there was supposed to be a third but then we realized life will out and the best laid plans of of macumberos and men but uh we have that in our stores for a, a hidden future something uh squirreling yeah. them away uh for, for future kind of like unearthing is also pretty cool and uh, uh and very necromantic right i'm planning the future now which is kind of what we all do but <laughs> <laughs> and exhume yeah. and yeah. exhume and exhume oh god what's the joke with zoom in there i never thought of that <laughs> oh that's 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 yes that's rich all right we'll okay so forgive us because now we're going to ramble as we do in our in our normal ramblings um we are uh coming to you from some date before the actual date of this release in an undisclosed bat cave um <laughs> celebrating the triumphs of one joan of arc on her feast day of may the 30th mm-hmm. so welcome everyone uh we have some topics in store some planned some not some uh some some perhaps better that they're not said, but that's not how we run things here. <laughs> uh, we are on the Feast of Joan of Arc. We are indeed focusing on Joan of Arc as our saint. Um, and we are going to build off of that with the demon Musifin, Musicine, if you're in Brazil, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Eshu is heavily tied there. So I'm sure he'll pop his little, little head in at some point. <laughs> the plant of the day is Iris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently mother of tangents for Al. <laughs> um, the mineral or stone of the day is iron, which is interesting that we haven't done it before now, but it felt appropriate for the children of steel um, mm-hmm. in warrior saint, as those things are. Um, magic is Claire audience, one of the four great Claire's. There are more than four, but I don't know why that's just, they're called the four Claire's. Um, and then uh, the figure is Puella mm-hmm. and it's corresponding uh, Odu of Otura Meji, maybe a little sprinkling cost comparison. Uh, the tarot card is Strength. I really uh, love this card, both in its traditional descriptions or force or in the Crowleyan, the Thelemic deck of, of Lust. Mm-hmm. All of that very, very lusty. Um, and the Dead Magician is someone I know nothing about except for what I have read in preparation for today so that I don't sound completely idiotic but it is Joan Flower and I presume her daughters as well as a complex. Yeah. I was thinking this, the daughters and perhaps also the, the, the three that are um, implicated as a result of this, this witch trial that uh, uh, includes another Joan, Joan Willamont of Goodby as well. So Jones on Jones. Jones on Jones on Jones. And what's, what's great is I don't think when we were putting this episode together, it wasn't intentional to have another Joan. It just, I, I suggested a cunning woman because I do think, um, Sometimes we get so transfixed on the famous men of history that we forget that it, part of our agenda is to make sure that we're giving a lot of our own, kind of reversing our own ignorance of of of, of much more uh, 
I want more <laughs> women. I want more people of color. I want more people. Uh, I want more queers in our magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the history is there. And just often, you know, I love that we did John D. And I'm glad we did him already. Right, right. Well, when we, A, moving away from the general, like, uh, paternalistic or um, top-down models of, like, great men of history, both the great part of that and the and the men part of that. Uh, yeah. it's, it's also interesting how often when we look at uh, dead cunning women, dead witches, uh, it's based on parts, at least, of their prosecution uh, and, 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 dare we say, persecution. And so as opposed to, you know, a set of treatises on magic that they, they left or, you know, a bunch of alphabets of, of bizarre angelic letters, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the, the personal has indeed meshed in very different ways with the, the political uh, in, in these kinds of cases. And so, yeah, looking at the, the, the flower family or the flowers family felt like a, a, a good one. And also we get some, uh, we get some cat magic in there as well. Death by belly rubs. Uh, excellent. I think uh, we're obviously we start with the saint because this is how we open our game every single time. It is very strange recording just the two of us. And I know we just mm-hmm. where we hosted, but because uh, if you have not tuned into a speakeasy before, we are actively trying to do more of them. There will be another one uh, in, is it two months in July? Is that- yeah. I think we said July 14th. Wonderful. Um, so catch that if you, or if you are um, coming to us from the future where we've somehow figured out how to support our, um, desires on a Patreon. There might be ways for you to access previous speakeasies. Um, but our proceeds go to charity and we we have a lot of um, amazing friends that are donating their time and also just getting to hang out and talk about fun things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, certainly this last one got a little interesting because many of us were in the same space physically and it was such a different environment from our normal digital gathering. So it was an interesting hybrid event. Um, and I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, but it also that having big waves of people uh, leading an army, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. to to now coming back to just the two of us. I'm like, oh crap! I have to actually know what I'm doing. You can't uh, just wait for a guest to say something interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I can always count on to say something interesting. But again, I, I I don't want to put the burden solely on other people out of sheer like I don't have to study for this test. <laughs> um, so uh, that said, Joan of Arc is not an unknown saint, right? She's be- especially because she's in the this is early modern, right? Like this is early. Yeah, early. we're approaching. We're approaching. Yeah, late, late medieval, early, early modern. Yeah, yeah, fifteenth century. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that we have historical record, um, we know she's a real person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also interesting because she is a favorite of so many people because she was accused of witchcraft. So she comes up as a witch saint, even though she's herself would probably adamantly fight against modern, even modern conceptions of witchcraft. Yeah, uh, and the 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 subject of the day too, specifically Claire audience was a big one for me in, in like linking that to her because she heard voices as many saints see things. She's notably one that heard voices um, and not just in a visions of, of the Virgin Mary, but in specifically you know, St. Margaret, St. Catherine, which will, which I'll, I'll probably mention again in recounting her life story. But I love this idea of um, we've talked about it before with Lucy and Agatha of, of saints using previous saints to kind of spearhead their trajectory the yes, saint kind of comes in is like we still have a mission. We still let me counsel future saints, mm-hmm. uh, which brings into kind of like a Buddha nature for me of like the saints trying to make everybody become saints, and mm-hmm. and, and even in this lifetime, like how do we influence? How can we do those things? I mean, the one of the big divides in folk Catholic culture, and specifically folk Catholic culture, is are the saints emissaries of God, or are they own are they their own their own independent entities that are still trying to prove and push people towards this kind of divine agency that can right. happen. 
Um, and I, I love that with, 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 if it's Margaret of Antioch and Catherine of Alexandria, she never says for sure, but given the time period, it would probably be Margaret of Antioch and Catherine of Alexandria. Um, uh, this is, this is beautiful. This, this is who she hears. And these, these kind of depictions throughout um, the media of since the 15th century have been very interesting of Joan kind of tilting her head and, and hearing these voices of, of counsel and guidance. Yeah. Um, this in her complete dedication to God, um, as well as studies that have called her third gender or perhaps um, uh, hypermasculine in, 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 in that way or hyperfeminine. Um, mm. uh, I'm, my, my name's already screwing up, but that she is not quite normal chromosomal expression and huh. that she is perhaps an XXY uh, was, a pro, was, a, was a thing for a long time. And also this kind of weird 90s and 2000s exploration of having to justify um, everything through a scientific, which is still, of course, you know, it's all quantum theory, man. But that that Joan of Arc has been an interesting inter, uh, kind of topic in in those circles, in many circles. And yeah. there's also the the prophecy that's of, of other of other interest in magic wise, besides her own life story, is that she fulfills prophecies that are already happening around the countryside, um, mm-hmm. attributed to Merlin um, and huh. other magician magical figures. So that France would have an end to their suffering by a virgin carrying a banner. This ty- this type of fulfillment, which I mean, was it's all still Jones. So I don't know why I feel like I'm tangenting too much because that's what we do. It also <laughs> reminds me of kind of like a, a discussion the other night of even of Dune and it's ooh, nice liquid you theater training um, <laughs> of of Dune. I'm going to say it again of Dune uh, and the idea that just because the Bene Gesserit planted the prophecies doesn't mean that Paul didn't fulfill them. And that side of things of like planting something hundreds of years in the past. And so, you know, what is that thing of like fulfillment of prophecy, self-fulfilling prophecy, the body politic, the manipulation of belief as a tool, which is, you know, applying chaos theory to history. But well, uh, simply stepping into the story, right? Like yes. of, 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 and you see this time again in, in a variety of the utilization of political prophecy, right? You see the, 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 the white king prophecy leveled at uh, uh, Charles, um, and these are, you know, old ideas, old rhymes, old songs, old song lines, if you will, of what happens to power sometimes, uh, or what happens when, you know, people question power. Uh, and these get applied in very particular ways of like, we are living out these days again. I can't remember the, the, the term for that kind of uh, analysis when it's applied to like biblical scripture, but the notion that these are not simply lessons to learn from, they are patterns of things that happen constantly, right? They're, 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 uh, that you can find yourself in a particular situation where these are mapping the forces that are going on. You can identify with a particular, like biblical patriarch or, or, or someone that's that's gone through trials, right? And 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 the the relationship, especially between politic and religion, is so mm-hmm. interwoven and exemplified here. And if you're ready to take a shot, I'm going to mention Karen Armstrong again. But just the inseparability <laughs> of religion and politics, uh, it, and even in you know, it's interesting in modern America. Look, we can't. We can't. We're not, we're unable to as of yet. It's the great American dream, and we fail at it consistently um, because we also the fish don't know that they're swimming in water type of, of thing. Of like, all your decisions are based in a paradigm that is influenced by your spirituality, religion, and everything else like that. And organized religion certainly exists to justify the state's actions. And then right. when it becomes world religion, things go haywire. It's There's- interesting in 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 that kind of perspective or context as well to think about the confutation by moderns of witchcraft and just any magic right as well right she's she, Joan of Arc is accused of 
of witchcraft, but I guess unlike most of the people accused of witchcraft that might be like, no, 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 I I, I heal with herbs. I, I, I pray for people who've been overlooked and things like that. Joan of Arc being like, it's not, it's not witchcraft. I'm talking to God. And yes, I do intend on upending a lot of things. Does she believe she's chosen? Like she believes, she believes the Kool-Aid she's drinking. Right, uh, right. If it is, if it, it wasn't, or at least by what we can see that she is not a victim of the prophecies. She's embracing them. Yeah. Uh, and and calls herself the promised one. You know, she's signing it the maiden to yeah. her virginity. She's leading this battle. She banner. She believes that her actions, her purity, and her talking to the or Archangel Michael and mm. Margaret and Saint Catherine are genuinely there to to save Charles um, yeah. from from the English. And yeah. so, and her campaign. Um, we also can see the kind of we're bringing a new metaphor, but the the kind of Bene Gesserit manipulation by the Vatican to try and basically put people who were pro-English in her trial to be mm-hmm. like, there was something going on with like the manipulations of the States at that time to try and keep certain people in power or not in power. And yeah. this is part of the the larger game where this religion is now in everybody's ear. And it, you don't know what, what the Holy Father's plans for everything are literally as the Pope, as, as well as God. And so it's being this, it's just an interesting kind of um, huge manipulation of, of, of power, perspective, uh, bias in order to get things done. And to then name her a saint relatively quickly is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Like 25 years. Right. So she's, yeah. yeah. So to do that. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's backtrack to a tiny bit of, 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 uh, well, as a folk saint, as a folk saint specifically, right. Cause she's not, she's not fully, if I remember correctly until the 20th century, mm. um, as canonized, but that was, a, but as a saint, literally, this is what a folk saint is. She's saint by congregation. People are so like you cannot talk about her in a negative way. Very, right. and I don't believe she's she's fully canonized until the 20th century. I think it's 1920. It says, yeah, and, and she's also gained this prominence during the like French Revolution as well, right? Like she becomes yes. a a national symbol already. So she's 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 already there, and thus it makes sense to 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 add that she's the saint of of you know becoming a patron saint of France itself as well as the and even of- French identity, right? Where where mm. you go to New Orleans today. Nolens, I'm going to pronunciation away of of that beautiful statue that's that's gold gold painted that sparkles there that's uh, right on the right on the right on the river and then the shadow of that right against certain buildings is quite fascinating and how the prominence of of, of Jeanne d'Arc or Joan of Arc or Jehan Jehan how do you pronounce J E H A N N E damn you non standardized spelling of my ability to understand what it is um, or Jean the Maiden Joan the Maiden whatever it is. Um, and how common uh, even the name Joan itself, right, is very, uh, it's based in the, in the biblical of John and is, you know, a very common name. I also think it's fascinating, too, with Joan of Arc is I really am interested in all the kind of like, oh, she has visions. She says, take me to Charles. She's, she's you know, she's as a as a child, she's born in, you know, the northeast of France. Um, it's a small village and we don't really know the date of her birth. Um, and her father is Jacques the arc presumably and isabel um and she has three brothers and a sister and her father's a farmer um he has about you know 40 50 acres of land which is not so bad like he's he's uh, also a village official a mm. tax collector so she's not do she's not a poor peasant she's an okay doing peasant right so and she's born during the hundreds year hundred years war and this is this is this overclouds everything and, to, and you know english claims to the french throne everybody's going all over the place um, the French King Charles the sixth, sixth, is that right? 
you know, is, is getting a little bit crazy and um, often unable to rule. And, you know, there's just a lot of duress, stress going on. Um, and all of this coming here, the difference between the Burgundians and the Armagnacs and all, all these things, I personally start to blank out when it becomes so much battle talk of like Joan went here, then did this. And then she conquered here and went back and did this. And like, this one didn't go so well. And that's why they started like, Oh, we have to blame somebody. So we're going to blame her. So ultimately what, what I would take, if there's plenty of battle stuff, Wikipedia has all that in summary and then actually very good resources to this again, because we're dealing with a saint that's fairly modern and we can look at that. I'm fascinated by the the symbol she has become the the gumption quote unquote of yeah. a young maiden who in preserving her own chastity in a way that is inspired by the the, the golden legend saints that we know that yeah. are um extolling the virtues of this and even though that might be a common thing part of our western inheritance and culture it is not often that you see women promoting their own version of that and yeah. so she takes an active role in her kind of donning the banner of god and saying that, no, I, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to the angels. I'm talking to Catherine and Margaret, um, a devil killer, and another one who talked to, Catherine talked to saints as well. Mm. And um, these are virgin saints who who strove against the devil and other powerful enemies and were tortured and martyred. And they preserve all of that virtue to death. So she, in essence, by arming herself, you know, her audacity of like, I need to speak with the king and telling you, God has come to me. And like, the belief here is yeah. so, what's the word? I'm like, not avalanching, like just giant snowballing into something that's like the perfect storm for a young maiden to become this this figure right Mm -hmm. and and that's that's real dangerous real quick when you get Mm -hmm. in bed with politics and you're now the chosen one um because if you don't perform at all this is going to be real big and there's also the fact that she was asked to perform miracles in her time Mm -hmm. and she's like i don't do that i fight i pray Mm -hmm. but i fight on behalf of the king i'm not someone who's going to heal your was his mistress right that that they that the the duke was trying to to say or the, to have her heal and she just calls him out on stop living with your mistresses this is not mm-hmm. a christian lifestyle this is not chaste right. and chastity is what is going to preserve my role as the leader of the french army as someone who can can lead us all to victory i also think the the fact that of her yes being put in a position of leadership which apparently didn't shock as many people is the fact that she put on men's clothes yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's classed as a blasphemy. That's, you know, yes. we, we, firmly at, you know, House Golgotha of like heresy, always blasphemy, never. Right. Yeah. But she's accused of heresy in terms of like hearing God, you know, wrongly or like not, you know, not with licit conduct or approval. But it's the blasphemy of wearing men's clothes and and the mixture of the two in acting upon these visions that are now ruled as demonic. Right. Yeah. Uh, refusing to submit her word and deeds to the judgment of the church. Right. Yeah. Um, she, she has these things and then and then acts on them and finds herself in that in that set of stories and, and runs with it. So by the time we get to Charles the seventh, she's 17. He's 26. Uh, he brings her to the court. He has her tested. Uh, to not only verify her virginity, which insert like extreme consternation and doubt that, you know, hymen intact is, has, is no marker of virginity, but that also, because this, the prophesied virgin savior of France is a thing, and, but also to make sure that she had a consorted with the devil. It wasn't even just her taking a lover. It was to see that the devil had not fornicated mm-hmm. with her. 
her. That's where she was getting her ability from. Mm-hmm. So the Dauphin then confirming or having confirmation that she is in fact intact and therefore a true maiden, that's when he commissions plate armor for her, which mm-hmm. that's a big deal too. Um, like she's falling into like, I am this person. I am right. the, the one that is prophesized. Mm-hmm. I am Sadrach. And I just, I find that fascinating. Uh, I find the immediate support of like really wanting this savior, the immediate support of God's on our side, which is the, of course, the error that we all make, right? Um, <laughs> what I am is good and what the enemy is, is evil. It's right. such polarities of, of insanity. But yeah, so the, the coronation of, of Charles VII, um, it, it goes well, things are going fine. Um, and then eventually it doesn't go fine. And um, Joan is uh, put on trial for heresy, blasphemed by wearing men's clothes, as you said, and visions, her visions are de- demon- demonic. I was going to say demoniac. Wow. Demonic. Mm-hmm. And um, that she is refusing to uh, fully recount what she has done mm-hmm. um, by her own words, because she will be judged by God alone. Yeah. And so the church is no longer recognized as the sole authority of, of God. And those other sides of it, you know, that although they submit, although she was put through ecclesiastical trial, it was it was politically motivated, of course. Right. And um, the the real thing was that she testified that her visions had instructed her to defeat the English and to crown Charles. And that that was the fact that um, that happened was testimony that God had been on her side. Right. Right. Let success be thy proof. Yeah. And so that's it's an interesting thing of like she did what she said she was going to do. Right. You know, don't get in bed with politicians when you're a magician. It's real bad real quick. <laughs> yep. You think it's just going to be, you know, funding and, uh, you know, Maybe some jingling bells for the court. But yeah. before you know it, yeah, yeah. You're being asked to produce the red powder and breaking your legs and all sorts of business. Yeah, Maybe yeah. And serve the God of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, she's de- she's declared guilty and burned at the stake on the 30th of May, hence her day, uh, 1431. And she's aged somewhere around 19 um, which again, just, ugh. uh, but yeah, as we said, by 1456, I've got here, the inquisitorial court reinvestigated the trial and overturned the whole verdict and yes. declared that it was tainted by deceit and procedural errors. Uh, so again, the, the, the legislature and the, the jurisprudence, I suppose, having to bend to this like overwhelming populous, popular support for her. One of the things we talked about, we, we talk a lot about, uh, well, not us, but I mean, the, 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 the kind of burning, oh God, I was about to say the burning times and I said it anyway. Um, but the burning of people at the stake, we don't often talk about what happens to the remains. And I find, although they're just going to be swept up and put in whatever river, the fact that her remains are specifically thrown in the Seine, which is so enrapturing of, of Par- Parisian identity, right? There's something there that she becomes one with the river and this kind of river teen, riverine goddess figure of the, the flow of France in general and the flow of the public, the flow of the popular person. Mm-hmm. I also, she's, she's shown clutching a cross to her chest because she asks for a cross, a crucifix when she's dying and a soldier, uh, supposedly English soldier, uh, makes one from a stick and she holds it and she holds, she kisses it and places it next to her chest as she's strapped to the pole and mm-hmm. dying. And then uh, she, uh, a real, a, a larger crucifix, I guess a processional one, the one you would carry before mass, uh, was fetched from a church and she embraced it right before her hands were bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, it was held by the populace before her eyes while she was burning. Mm-hmm. So she could focus on the crucifix 
that's some like that gives me goosebumps to think about that's some beautiful let's plan my death let me let me let me show you how <laughs> i am but like let the truth this is someone who went to her death being like god will know I'm right not, god will know like yeah. you're all wrong but god will know god will god will show me after death that i'm not and yeah. and indeed the trials reversed as you said i it's uh there's that lovely um eugene Thirion, uh the, this the joan of arc uh with with her uh, here's the voice. Oh yeah. Shows her kind of very troubled face mm. uh, with the angel whispering in her ear. And then like a battle angel behind blowing the trumpet mm. of like, that's such a freaking beautiful painting. But it, what's interesting about it again, the main charge against her is freaking cross-dressing. Mm. That's the, that's the biggest affront that they yeah. can get. That like you crop your hair in the male fashion, you wear a black tunic and a short black cap. Um, you know, that she had uh, wearing breeches, a mantle, a, a male coat. Armor was made for her by the king. Like, that's one <laughs> of those things of, like, did you expect her to wear a dress under it? That doesn't work. Right. Um, and so, anyway, I just, I think uh, Joan of Arc herself is such a, an interesting way of looking at the the flow and the, the rise to power of the same crowd. Well, not necessarily the church is not a crowd, but... The same people that lift you up are the same people that will call for your head when they need to. Right. So quick rise to extension, ascension might might not be easy. And one of the things that was used for in the church later, you know, uh, Aquinas is often quoted because he says that it's permissible for a man or a woman to wear men's clothing to hide herself from enemies or if no other clothes are available. And mm-hmm. Joan did both. She wore them in enemy territory um, because she was a standout. Maybe they, it's proposed that dressing in men's clothing allowed her to defend herself against rape. And mm. assault and assassination specifically, because if you're the only woman in an army full of men, it's very right. easy. To People have now killed the savior. Yeah. So it's it's the it's appropriate for her calling, and the church even defends that later. It would have been folly to expect her to act like everyone else when it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's not necessarily a loopholing. It's a it's it's a it's a readjustment of how the the understanding of what the what the priorities of of application of 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 doctrine is. I think the kind of the the French Revolution and the 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 C, the Bishop of Orleans Orleans, oh, Orleans I can't pronounce French words at all it's not my native <laughs> Orleans 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 make fun of me people let's do it but the in mid mid nineteenth century um, the the Bishop of Orleans starts to petition um, and this is obviously the connection to New Orleans right because she's the maid of Orleans mm-hmm. the you know, by the late half of the 19th century, she is, Rome is being petitioned heavily and miracles are being attested constantly. So she was canonized, interestingly, as a virgin, not as a martyr, which mm. is, and that's specifically because the church can't acknowledge that because she was put to death by a canonically constituted court, that she was, so she was not executed for her faith in Christ, but for her own sins which go against orthodoxy so her private revelation her cross-dressing mm-hmm. and the refusal to acknowledge church authority so mm-hmm. she's not a martyr because she wasn't put to death for her beliefs she was put to death because she had differing beliefs which is mm-hmm. which is interesting the church then gets to decide what christian belief is yeah yeah so as a virgin yes so she's been popularly venerated as a martyr since her death um and this is part of the folk practice with her which is so fascinating and 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 wider than than simply her her martyrdom and her willingness to you know uh, put her money where her mouth is so to speak, but also that uh, uh, venerated as a as a warrior hero in general, right? In wider you know feminist discourse and you know popular 
imagining she's a she's a strong woman you know uh, uh beyond the particularities of this conflict of france with england you know yeah a warrior saint as you put it right yeah so having uh already these like uh, interrelations with uh other saints with margaret and margaret and and catherine uh as well as you know uh, whisperings from the archangel michael and and these you know battle angels that she's um also comes up in a variety of ways for you know women being listened to uh in a variety of ways and and, and women upsetting the the order of things yeah um, I've seen comparisons and um uh, popular syncretisms um not singly either like i've seen several people kind of give her a minerva or a um, athena gloss mm-hmm. due to the chastity but also due to the strategy and everything that's there like that um right. you know she's compared to other biblical uh women esther judith deborah and that type of thing but but also is compared to like the strategists in general um what is it to be this and upheld by um the armagnac and burgundian sides of the of the war of like um I only remember Yolanda of Aragon because obviously I remember that name, but uh, a few others, just uh, Anne, Anne of Burgundy, um, who also extolled her virtues. And so she inspires just artistic and cultural works for, for centuries. And as the globalization of everything happens, she becomes this symbol of like France's right to be France. But the idea that, you know, planting a flag and things um, is still there. Saints carrying flags, saints carrying crucifixes. I I find that archetype of the warrior woman so strong it, in certain Cuban houses interestingly you know, people are are want to put and it's interesting to note with like the Cuban secretisms with Orisha is not quite so universal it's a very personal thing sometimes and then certain ones become popularized especially those upheld in the Cabildos which as we talked about on the the Virgen de Reglas uh, episode mm-hmm. it's important to remember the Cabildos aren't religious institutions they're social institutions that right. then influence the religious institutions um, yeah. that, are, that are less, that are not given a space like that, but ultimately they're so important to it. But Joan of Arc becomes predominantly Oshanla, the female of Atala, mm. which is interesting because most people want to give like St. Anne or these older, which does happen sometimes, but mm. Joan of Arc, and it, maybe it's because Oshanla is just such a, a female warrior force of the creative deity. Um, mm. so I, I find that fascinating. Um, and shifting gears to Brazilian Kimbanda and Umbanda, but the conflation with um, Maria Quiteria, uh, Maria Quiteria is is uh, such a a warrior figure and a historical figure, but then kind of gets this Joan of Arc glossing with things in the kind mm. of great thing of being, it has to be an emanation of something else as well. So right. becomes this uh, this force of a female warrior who, as a Pomagira, has this this kind of soldier tomboy thing going on, but also is a defender of the poor. Um, it, all of that laps up into it. And then also a few lesser known Pomagiras, especially ones like Maraba, um, as a as the Pomagira, not the issue, um, but as this kind of social uh stirring the social things up, um, and therefore gets worked with by people who might be looking for um like social justice. And mm-hmm. that's that, that Joan of Arc in her many masks becomes many of these things. She's also a prominent figure, and this is something I did not know about before um Libra Wiki, how die. Um, which is a, a Vietnamese religion. So it's a mono, monotheistic syncretic religion, but apparently Joan of Arc is very big in Kaldai. So Kaldaiism is not something I'm familiar with. Now I need to go down a whole rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> and uh, the the third great universal religious amnesty, I believe is the, the official name, but huh. the 
uh, uniting of God and humanity in ways not yet imagined um, by promoting this third amnesty that's happening. Um, so it's a conflation of Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism, and and, and kind to bring everything together. So um, something to look further into and also to understand where uh, Ms. D'Arc might fit into it. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And again, it makes sense with a saint who is another one of these, like, she's not rediscovered in the sense of like her bones are found again, like, uh, you know, uh, idea Rosalia or something like that, Rosalia, but she's continually rediscovered or uh, refocused or comes to return to mean uh, similar things to different people, whether it's this like specificity of prophetic fulfillment or a general sense that she is like also at the at the battlegrounds of whatever's going on now because she was about the battlegrounds of what was going on in her now i think um with joan specifically if, if anybody's interested in, in looking at her further if you've not read the trial transcripts these are available and they're quite she's quite sassy quite quite confident that you know she like in our in our lean towards claire audience like one of the things is that claire audience doesn't necessarily people don't hear the same things twice like you don't necessarily know the source of of the audio that's coming to you and so different deads different spirits can can be lying and things like this the, the common accusations against the paranormal but like she asked the voice for counsel in regarding the questioning itself and was told to answer boldly and god would comfort her mm-hmm. uh, she never found the voice to utter two contrary opinions and so she believes the voice does come from god and by his command and so, you know, when they ask her, like, do you know whether or not you're in God's grace? She says, if I'm not, may God put me there. And if I am, may God so keep me. Mm. Like, um, it's just, it's, you feel it's like, I should be the saddest creature in the world if I were not in his grace. And of course, mm. this is a translation, but I love that it makes me feel like a reconstructionist era novel going on. But, <laughs> you know, this, this, the, to hear the words, to read the words of, of Joan of Arc in this way is quite interesting. Um, mm. Where to speak the truth, um, as in the questions that we put to you. I do not know what you wish to examine me on. Perhaps you might ask such things as I would not tell. Like you, you're asking me to speak the truth, but I don't know what questions you want to ask me. Mm. Um, there's she's she's kind of posing uh, the holes in their logic mm. throughout the whole thing while constantly play, praising God. Also, of, of we chose the the iris today because I, of course, flirtily is a contested thing of either being Lily or Iris, mm. uh, and that you know they're her own followers, you know, white satin. And then sometimes there was a fleur-de-lis on them. So obviously as a, as a symbol of French nobility, the fleur-de-lis is, is a connection to other topics today. You know, how do, how does she justify when she's taken prisoner? You know, didn't the angel fail you when you were taken prisoner? And she's like, it must've pleased God. Hmm. You know, so if it pleases God for me to be taken prisoner, then I have no problem with it. You know, as, and that's just, it's, she's constantly submitting. Hmm. Um, therefore the maid part comes and it's that Marian thing of like, thy will be done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, happy feast of St. Joan of Arc. Um, I don't mean to end the conversation there, but I know that, you know, no. uh, I think I think she's a, a wonderful excuse uh, to to throw the, the party. Her skirts are short because she's wearing armor. Mm-hmm. Under the shadow of her horse, uh, we might move towards uh, Musifine. Uh, but yeah, so because... Uh, we've had this conversation early, early on in our, in our friendship too, of like, this is the same thing, right? Like, yes, it's a typo. Um, like, okay, <laughs> is, it, is it just, a, you know, understanding the, the German S and putting that in the wrong block of type and 
you know, we've been talking about like, it's not uncommon for people to, you know, you run out of type letters. Yeah. In the typeface it's like, interesting. Like, it's interesting raising language uh, uh, in, in those terms, because while we have the, yeah, when we're talking about like, you know, tracking demonology, tracking demons across a paper trail of, uh, of spirit catalogs, of spirit lists, of uh, of com- of compilations of things, of of working books, especially right, which is shorthand because they're you know designed for utility, not for teaching utility necessarily. But like, it's interesting when we have actual typos, which get like kind of enshrined, versus just accepting that there isn't a standardization of spelling that that comes to English till, you know, 1700, 1750 kind of thing. It's just not seen as a thing that's necessary. And so what does end up happening is that you do preserve accents occasionally. And especially when these, when we're comparing the different uh, limbs of the family tree of various different grammaric manuscripts, it can be really useful actually to be like, I mean, specifically here, like later on, we have the name of this, this demon spelled Masusin or Musufin or Musofin. So we have, uh, so there's, 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 there's insert, you know, change the vowels as you see fit to a certain degree, but also these are then useful for us to track. Okay. If it turns up spelled like that later on, we know that they're using this manuscript. So the names give us an inkling to the, to the accent, if not of the people using it, then a kind of the idea of, of different uh, manuscript variants having accents is I think really uh, just a useful thing in general. Uh, and that's, and that's, also one of the reasons we need to track them and it's useful to remember them uh, and all their variant spellings uh, in that very kind of like um, Picatrix way of like you who are called this and sometimes are called this and sometimes this, right? Uh, we're not just being hyper-specific for the sake of it. There's also the the way we track the early, uh, what Jake called the ghosts of the spirit lists where someone is where, where a spirit appears to have been repeated with a slightly different name or with a completely different name, but exactly the same description or uh, the same name, but a different description occasionally as well. A whole gamut of, uh, of pandemoniums uh, occurring. So the earliest cases for this particular spirit that we're talking about today uh, is uh, in the records as Reskin, actually. And this becomes uh, quickly Resokin or Roskin. And then somewhere along the line, that R becomes an M uh, and we get Masusin uh, and all the variant Masufins of, of that of that name. The spirit itself is one of the first mentioned in the uh, the list of 18 main spirits in the Clavicula Solomonis de Secretis that will later uh, be kind of reskinned as, as the, the Grimorium Verum. And in early accounts, uh, well, actually, you know, a little bit more about the hierarchy here, I think is probably worthwhile. So they're part of the, the Verum's first main 18, and thus by the, the reckoning of uh, the Grand Grimoire, which divides up each of the six deputies under the three chiefs of, of Lusa Belzebuth. And uh, in earlier accounts of the Clavicular Solomon's Secret, it's actually Elestor, but quickly is is identified as, as uh, Astroth or a variant thereon. But this idea that each of the six deputies rules three of the main 18 means that uh, Masusin, who is mentioned, or Masufin, uh, who's mentioned in the first three, is under the first deputy. Now, that's in older accounts, that's Lucifidroff Kale. In slightly newer accounts, that's Satanakia or Put Satanakia, but always ultimately under Lucifer. Um, and, and we've talked before about like the, the shift between various Verum and Pre-Verum manuscripts around who's a deputy and who's not of the six, uh, and that that also plays out in uh, some houses and, and, and lineas of counterparted spirits in, uh, you know, m- more Macumba kind of stuff. There's extra uh, confusion around those deputies 
by the way, of course, because originally we have one uh, deputy of uh, Aglia Repta Kimath, right, who becomes both Aglia Repta and Tarkimache, but originally they're the, the same spirit, and they, they, they again, what might be a typo, uh, quickly gets reinforced into a, a reimagined hierarchy uh, or lack thereof. And becomes, you know, they, they start having their own uh, sigils and, uh, and and ways of calling them. So anyway, beyond this mess of, of various ways of navigating which spirits are responsible for which other spirits, uh, Reskim in some of the earlier forms of the Clavicular Solomonis de Secretis is uh, a spirit that gives knowledge, that um, actually infuses knowledge is the way that uh, Joseph H. Peterson translates the, the Latin. Reskim can infuse knowledge into people and he can also remove it. All right. So here we have this idea that like if a demon can can do a thing, they can also make that thing not happen in various ways or they can uh, nullify as well as uh, they can they can downregulate as well as upregulate. Likewise, it said the spirit can disclose knowledge of everything involving the interests of kingdoms and public affairs anywhere. Now, uh, so firstly, we've got this idea of like it's not just any knowledge, it's knowledge that's pertinent to statecraft to tradecraft. There's a heavy espionage feel. And we see that later on with how uh, Reskin kind of uh takes on this uh how masseuse in, in the the office of the same spirit in later grimoires kind of starts to reflect more of this espionage role but i think it's worth pointing out that that reskin in this guy is not one of the spirits of the lesser key right is not one of the spirits where it's or even the 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 folga vb26 book of magic uh one of those spirit lists where it's pretty common for a spirit a, a, a demon to give you knowledge of the liberal arts or knowledge of how to use herbs and stones, right? That's like a standard thing that most of them can can do in that kind of form. And it seems to be in, like particularly inspired by the clerical underground. Here in Verum, which is seems a little bit more rooted in uh, Italian and then later like English and French uh, uh, cunning practice, I would argue, is a lot more like practical, uh, not quite to the full extent of say like the book of Donnell where it's, you know, plenty of workings to like catch fish and, and and spirits that literally just help you hypnotize birds and things like that. But there's this sense here that Reskin is, is not like one of many spirits that can offer you knowledge. Reskin is, is one of the particular ones that can just infuse it, that can, that can reveal secrets crucially. And so by the time we get to Masusin in, uh, in the Grimorian Verum, in the, in, the, in the true Grimoire, uh, which it's, you know, is said to have the power over great lords, interestingly. So the secrets of the lords has become immediately more understood as like actually having like power over them for, you know, in, in a political sphere, knowledge being power, this kind of these kinds of vizier lessons. Uh, he teaches all that happens in the republics and in the affairs of the allies as well. So it's also the espionage of keeping track on, keeping tabs on allies uh, and colleagues. Uh, also said his powers are over the aristocracy and he reveals affairs of state. He can also remove the means to such knowledge. And here again, we've got this interesting thing where we move from he can reveal things to you. He can also obscure things. And here we have the idea of like making dark certain things of uh, his uh, aptitude for messing with other people's divination, as well as uh, certain works of invisibility, as well as um, burying secrets upon oaths uh, and things of this kind of nature. As a spirit, I've found they uh, tend towards a lot of black, uh, especially with like white or yellow or gold like accents or, or or their sigil or something like that, like a, a fine white or, or, or bright thing on, on black. 
And I've also found them to, to be particularly fond of the intricacies and, and kind of in-jokes of misinformation campaigns of like trap streets and paper towns, which are uh, innovations that start in the kind of competitive world of, of, uh, of, of professional cartography, where in order to ensure that your map isn't copied uh, by a rival map making company that didn't have to spend all the money actually sending someone out to measure things and do the ordinance, but are just going to copy yours. Uh, it's common for, for cartographers of a certain period to have, have put in fake towns in their, you know, uh, maps of uh, regions or, or fake streets in their maps of towns so that they know if someone else has taken this, that, you know, has, has, has copied their work and is profiting off it. And I found like this spirit to be particularly interested in that kind of stuff, as well as uh, things that can play other things, uh, a good sense of like, of things that reveal uh, or things that uh, obscure things. Theatres, uh, funnily enough, dirt from theatres was used, I've used in in some workings with this spirit. They, the, the spirit just generally has like big vizier vibes, big kind of like somewhere between Jafar and like worm tongue uh, kind of thing is, 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 is how I experience them anyway. And um, and they're one of the more uh, they, they seem to be one of the more frequently mentioned Verum spirits in Pontos Riscados for their counterparted Eshu Eshu Capa Preta. Yeah, I mean, Mister Black Cape, right? Like it's always right. good to exotify the names. Mm. That blackness that he brings is, I mean, because Minlucci has his own blackness that brings, and there is an intrinsic relationship. They have always felt been felt to work well together. Mm. Um, that works well with Chancohua Menoichi, Sicha Catacumbas, um, Sicha Cruces, all of the Caveiras, all of the cemetery spirits in general, but especially, you know, the, the queens of both Kalungas, like all these things. Mm-hmm. This, this darkness, death, and, and depth is there, uh, which speaks mm-hmm. to the blackness that he brings. So it's a personal blackness. It's not the whole universe isn't black and the world isn't blacking like Menoichi. And we know Menoichi's got this, um, or if you're in the North, Menoite, let's be very clear, my accent is Balista influenced, but mm-hmm. Menoichi is ultimately related to the the thing that eclipses the page, which ink itself as a source of knowledge. And Capapreta is an extension of that, but Capapreta is the oath, right? Like he's obsessed with the commitments we make where we sign contracts either in word or, you know, in ink, by word or in ink. And there's something very interesting about the whispers in the dark. In darkness, um, we don't know the source of the voice. Mm. And there's something quite dangerous about that. You know, yes. our friend could be the one whispering to us, but whispering has no vocal uh, delineations. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same uh, patterns of voice. You can, whispering can sound like another person very easily. And the thing that whispers in the dark. Gapa Preta himself, um, my experience, I've seen a few versions of him come down. I'm very familiar with him in, in general. Um, it, very, very strangely smart issue. Mm-hmm. Very much about exposing secrets um, as well as hoarding them. Um, it is not an issue that is, he's very respected for his knowledge um, as one of the, the Linea Nago spirits, uh, just an adept of what is called Vodou um, and and Nago things, which just Nago, although it is a reference to Anago and the and the, the port through which mm. the were brought over, it actually, since that was the last major of the three large um uh, migrations uh, through the through the slave trade, and I say migration loosely there, obviously. Um, but the the three groups of people that were in are there are more than just these three, but these are the big classes, and we see this in Candomblé of the the Congo, then the Jeje, then the um, the Nago, 
and the nago being synonymous with Yoruba, with the Yoruba, but also being a word for African magic in general, and therefore is more than just the the proper nouns of nago. It's more than just that part of of Yoruba and, and Dahomey and things like this. It is a reference to working with blood and packs and spirits and trees and African things. Um, and Capaprete is said to be an expert in these things, um, which is packed base magic. So yes, with the deity, but the worship is given in a certain way. Blood offerings must be given. Um, yes. He is tends to snarl slightly, but he is a whispering issue. Mm-hmm. He likes to speak advice very quietly. He might bite the person and then speak to them, even bite the hand and then speak to the hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is notoriously shivering or uh, just shaking. He's not mm-hmm. He's not an issue that um, looks comfortable when he comes. He is one that can bring panic and fear in people when he starts to manifest. And even if he doesn't manifest fully, people start freaking out uh, and might think that things are wrong when there's nothing wrong. It's just Kappa Preta coming. So his, his knowledge is supposed to be and is said to be profound, both for good and bad. Although his, if you do not use him for good, his tendency is going to be he's 51% bad at best. <laughs> You know, so he likes making, um, you know, there's kind of an, even though it's not traditionally listed as Alteza influence, right? Of like, if there's nothing good to watch on TV, he's going to make something good to watch. <laughs> so sowing discord, causing confusion, right. this whole concept of assault, yes, but vendetta, it has to be justified by, you know, everything, the mixture of politic and religion. Mm. Um, you know, and he is, he is, is primarily a black Eshu. Um, I mean, in the, his preferences of color, some issues might choose red, some red and black, some black and white, but his is, he's under the cloak of, he's Mr. Black Cape. He's not Mr. Black and Red Cape. And he's a pork eating issue, which shows his connection to the Cavetas and to the, mm. to the cemetery spirits. He likes it raw. Th- that sounds dirty. All of these things. Um, he likes his pork raw and he's uh cachaça whiskey. Um, he likes wine. He likes expensive things, but he's pretty much like anything you can share with me. He'll, he'll take. You know, he is fond of guns. He is fond of daggers. He likes sudden things that cause problems. Yeah. Uh, lots of gunpowder with Gapa Preta. Um, there's a couple, uh, we would say qualidades in some groups or, or just shades that, that are around, that are available, but Gapa Preta, um, or Dan Cruzeliada, who is much more refined and aristocratic and his nature seems to take on a lot of the uh, things we would attribute to the Malay and to that, the, the deputies as their equivalent ranks would be called. Yeah. Uh, Mangueira, Marabo, Trancahua, Vabudu, um, and uh, Chiri, and, and Dos Rios, so these well-spoken issues that are immediately under the capeta, under the mm-hmm. mayoral in this way, that then usually the foresight is filtered down back through Omolu and through um, through Kalunga to give this kind of grimoire and verum hierarchy that became popular in the 50s and 60s. 1950s and 60s. It's important to recognize how quick uh, yeah. modern it is. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that speaks to also to the initial question of what is the role of the demons in this way? It's very difficult to know because in order to sell books, you had to link things to European ways. So like you couldn't fully justify African magic without it being somewhat whitened. Yeah. And it's very hard to know what the initial impulse of these things are in the same way that there are so many 
types of Kimbanda now. You have Kimbanda that's part of Umbanda. You have Kimbanda Luciferiana, Kimbanda de Raiz, Kimbanda Tradicional, Kimbanda, you know, it, there's so many different Kimbanda Angola, Kimbanda Congo. There's all these different forms of Kimbanda. And it's mm. great that the internet is providing us reasons for this, talking about this um, with my god sister Ingrid and other people around it, just to see how these things are developing. And now the internet is giving platform to these minority traditions of Kimbanda that even yeah. 10 years ago, people would say didn't exist because they weren't part of Umbanda, that it all had to be under Umbanda. It was like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you over actual Brazilians practicing their things. <laughs> but, and, you know, and there's, of course, there's a controversy because like the first things that are put into English, everyone critiques that and everything's go. And it's when it doesn't stop people from doing what they're going to do. And Kimbanda is always very versatile. Folk magic that, that that uses ceremonial magic to accomplish folk magic ends, especially when possession is involved. If the spirit comes down and tells you to change it, you're going to change it. Kimbanda is not an unknown issue. It is an issue that loves putting things back to like soil, oh, land and blood. Really, I was going to go, wasn't going to go there in the phrasing. <laughs> soil, blood, pact, getting things very much more quote unquote African and mm. um, for better or worse. It's said to be... Um, very partial to defending, especially these two lady Pumbajiras, Seche Capas, who's a form of Seche Sayas, mm-hmm. um, who is a Sigana that is more prone to talking to the bad boys. Like she doesn't feel she she can hold her own. She'll be very in that world, a very joyous Pumbajira. And also with Menina, um, mm-hmm. who is also Sigana by nature. Many people say the, the default form of, of Pumbajira Menina. And there's a big conflation between the Pumbajiras and the Siganas in general and that kind of um, live free or die attitude, um, especially since in the early days of Umbanda, they classified and called them at the same time as the Pumbajiras. So in time, yeah. they separated. But there's a lot of conflation that stayed. And then, of course, a bunch of Siganas are like, we don't mind being called Pumbajiras. So there's <laughs> there versions of what those are. Gamma yeah. himself, Faustian, not that he's Faust, but that power seeking people who are ambitious on the magical end. It's funny because you hear a lot of this with Menoichi, right? Because of Cyprian. There's also capa preta, pacts. Signing your name in the devil's book is a capa preta type of action. Goethe, Novalis, uh, other things which speak of these types of magic where you call the devil and make a pact with Mephistopheles or whatever devil it is. Mm-hmm. The oath that you take when you sign, you are under the cape of the black eshu, of the black cape eshu. So yeah. you're, you're putting yourself under his eye. Well, well, so many metaphors today. Under his <laughs> So it just that he is the witness to all packs that are made, whether they are with devils, angels, or otherwise. If you sign your name in some way, it is him. Mm. He's partial to it. There's also this, this bitterness that comes with him that we should do that. If every issue is present, we ultimately, this is a cult of crossroads. Kimanda specifically, um, mm. not just, you know, the cult I personally run. Um, <laughs> call me now, but that, <laughs> That Eshu Capapreta as a crossroads spirit seems to be tied to the choices we didn't make but wish we had. So regret. Um, not so much betrayal, which there's other pombajiras that kind of come in and take that, that kind of, but that idea of vendetta of like, I regret talking to this person. I regret tying myself to this person. I regret having this action ha- taken against me. That type of thing is very much tied to his kind of quote unquote vampiric disposition. He bears mm. his fangs. He has, there's a lot of conflation there. With Morsego, even though he doesn't necessarily come down with Morsego a lot, and the kind of vampire things that a snarling face where it's just a black cape covering him entirely, and he's just kind of like pouting, and he prefers to sit, which ties him in, a, in this kind of larger observation, ED, right, the hips, which is also tied to Odi, which is a, an Odu, and the whole thing of the conflation of the earth, and your where where do you, where is the earth prominent in the body? Well, where you sit and where you walk mm. are 
earthly places. So the place, the womb and the genitals that are when you sit down are now in contact with the earth, this conflation of that with all the problems of the world too. This is a bitter gossipy issue. But I've also seen him do amazing things when people are on the wrong side of that gossip. And that if some, if him explaining secrets of people in the room to shame them, because he loves that shit, mm. uh, but exposing secrets to uh, make another person to raise them up and take someone down a peg. Mm. That, that he likes. Um, but again, this is an issue that thrives on um, very, even though we say in that goal, very Congolese ways of doing things, gunpowder, mm-hmm. knives, packs, cutting things. He likes to put medicine directly into people's skin. So this is not unlike some of the other spirits. Kabokos can do that too. There's, you know, every line of Candomblé has this type of Kura thing that happens, right? The Bere. Mm-hmm. And uh, some houses of, of Kimanda do it. Some say, no, never. And that, you know, hey, to each their own. Everybody has a different way of doing it. But Capapreta is tied to that too, because it's an oath, right? So mm-hmm. there's this, um, when he walks that point between Menoichi, Eshupemba, um, these spirits that are that are calling things up and and are shown graphic marks. It doesn't matter the symbol. This cup of this oath is now signed. It's signing your name with an X with a crossroads, literally, or signing your name with just a line. And okay. so, a single nail comes out from behind the cape and scratches someone with a confaca de dos fios. Dos fios, you know, they're looking at with the the knife with two edges. It's not a don't don't fuck around. Brincar huh. is 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 not really fuck around, but you know, um, don't right. don't play. You know, and you know we have to respect Apapreta, and there's that side of it. He's he's a leader of a prominent line. I think there's a lot of twisty, mustachey type of villainous things with him, but not necessarily his first impulse. There are other issues that are more like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. And I remember when we did Mangueira. I think specifically it was like when you showed me some of the, the kind of twisty, mustachey things. He was like, my, my Mangueira always told, is said to have a beard and a mustache, and here's this demon situation. <laughs> goes over so again what influences everything influences it but again i think the kind of summarize it in that way if a kimandero calls a goetic demon or and by goetic i mean european in that way um, yeah. if a kimandero calls a, a spirit from the grimoire barum at a certain point they're still filling in what they don't know with kimanda yeah. so they're still it's a, they're a kimandero if a if a european magician someone who's verum based or you know the 72 of, of the 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 solomonic like fine if you call it an, an Eshuot Bombajira, you're still filling in what you don't know with European standard things. And yeah. therefore, it, it becomes you're still a Goetic magician. You're still a Goist, or whatever permutation that is. So yeah. this thing of the spirit's still going to confine itself and appear in a way that is going to get a result. Kimanda works with demons very differently than the majority of early modern and, and, and later grimoire stuff. Yeah. But not completely differently, right? And certainly right. not that you're in allyship or with it, or you might have a more exter- experienced relationship with. And I think there's a beautiful dialogue here. And that's a tribute to people like Jake, very adamant of like, Hey, let's learn from each other. There's also this kind of thing of yes. Um, learn from each other is one thing, but Brazil wasn't necessarily interested in learning from, um, from the European models or like what we have works, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's that side of it too. Um, but there's a history here of conflation between the two. There's a history here of justifying one by, by appealing to the other. There's a history here of, and we've talked about this prophecy before that happened in the seventies, not prophecy, but where Eshus would come down and say that they were, they were appearing for de- for centuries in Europe um, and going by whatever the names that they were being called, because they're like, Hey, give us offering. Sure. Give us a dove. Give us your daughter. Let's do this. 
necessarily matter that they didn't feel that they were the spirits being called, but like, Hey, if no one's going to show up and I get a dove out of it, like, sure. You just need me to do this thing. You want me to go down and like, let the plug out of your friend's milk bar, you know, milk jug. So that yeah, like, yeah. Okay, sure. No problem. So right. there's, it also feels like a very Brazilian kind of like reclaiming a superiority or autonomy over so this, this trend that had happened where everything had to be conflated with European stuff. Yeah. So um, I still think that anybody that says hundred percent one way or the other, this is it. And this is not for most things philosophical is selling something or really worried about their brand being this. See Kimbandas that expel, that really do love the syncretisms. You will see Kimbandas that have no problem with them, but don't really deal with them much other than like, Oh, that's cool. They have that in common. You will see yeah. Kimbandas adamantly or against such syncretisms the yeah. other side of it is the individual personality of these things that capa preta might have a story that he's always a wealthy baron he has german incarnations and there's all these things that go with it but there are other people that feel part of kimbanda is that you're actually bringing your ancestors into the game and that you have a spirit that acts like capa preta that is then going to be this emissary of capa preta this for you as a person and mm. we see this is reflecting a perhaps more Congolese, more Angola, more Congo Bantu mindset that they are deified ancestors in this way, but not necessarily practitioners of Kimbanda the way that Umbanda says that these are these are per, old necromancers coming forward to volunteer right. and you have a karmic bond with them. And it's just like this is another spirit guide. Again, different houses and lineages and, and locations believe different things. And there is a spectrum. And that's why many people are like, hey, this is great to have these dialogues and talk about these things, which mm. is. What, what are you bound? What, what What's your capa preta? What are you bound to in your line? You still have to follow that to start. Right. And it's, yeah. you know, people will incorporate from wherever, but does it serve what you're doing? Is mm-hmm. ultimately what I come down to. I think yeah. the capa preta, as far as like Mr. Black Cape, is intrinsically tied into black knowledge. And it's mm-hmm. meant in that way. It is meant to be a pun. And that part is uh, important. So I, as far as Musasin, Musafin, um, what's what's the earliest name you said? Uh, Reskin. Reskin. Uh, Reskin. I, yeah. I like this Reskin. It sounds it sounds very piratey and not um, not like a vizier in the same way. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the the snarling vizier um, you don't quite you can't quite trust him, mm-hmm. but um, you you know that he if he's on your side, like you know you'll forgive him his bad things as long as he's still on your side when shit hits the wall, like. Yeah. That feeling feels accurate for Capa Preta very strongly. When in doubt, call such a Sayas, such a Capas Menina, um, mm. and, and be like, let's lighten him up. Let's let's, let's <laughs> up the floor and dance a little bit and remember that it's fun to live and and have warmth in your life. To remember what you're actually the heart of what you're defending, not just the means of defending it. That makes sense. I'm like, I'm trying, it's we don't always speak about the different lineages of Kimban. I just want to make sure it's very like. Hey, there's 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 things that people are like going to be like, no, these are demons, and other people are like, nah, they're more right. ancestral. But we can call it, we're elevating them on this point of we're building them into this kind of fusion with earth spirit demon, but yeah. all these other technologies that come in. That's part of the beauty of studying it is that every line tends to espouse it differently, and all of it seems to work. Right. No samajia, no sakimbanda, like our kimbanda, our magic, which is really a healthy attitude mm-hmm. that I feel could, that I wish more people, not, not kimbanderos, people, we want to front, you want to front. And it's sometimes business oriented. Come to my temples, mm-hmm. the other one. But, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to it is ultimately you see like no, no condom lay temple is going to bemoan the other condom lay temple from doing something slightly different. They have different elders. They have different spirits, gods, everything. If you want our Kimbanda, you want our Gondomblé, you want our magic, come here. If you want somewhere else, go somewhere else. But you're going to do better by staying in one place for a long time, pick yeah. it well, and dedicating yourself to that study. Um, and so right. it, it becomes this thing of 
in the West, it'd be great. It's like, okay, is is this ritual magic golden dawn based? Is it more, you know, pseudo-Egyptian, PGM based? It, you know, is what are these things? And the war between, ah, it's fake because it's new. Nah, there's some beautiful new shit, including antibiotics. So mm. not going to bemoan that just because it's older. And we certainly have an appeal to age and an appeal to hierarchy and an appeal to authority in many of these traditions. Um, especially if it's a spirit that's down, like pre- yeah. once you prove to me that you're that spirit, great. I will do, I will change things the way you say, let's do this. Cause you're the one animating the power. Yeah. And that's a big difference in the way that workings happen. Sometimes when we work in these quote unquote demonic ways of you have a pact with something that then is doing the work for you. You don't have to extend your will. I don't have to go in there that day. Like, Oh my God, I'm a little distracted. It's going to hurt my will to, ex- you know, focus today. No, 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 no. I've got the offerings. <laughs> He said mm-hmm. seven bottles of this and nine candles and like right. yards of cloth and some random shit. And I put it all in front of it and the spirit takes care of it. Yeah. That's the point in building that relationship as opposed. And we see this within, I'm apologizing because I'm rambling. Um, <laughs> uh, the kind of spellbook methodology of when you see candle stores publishing these books that have a lot of beginning and the end the same, but they have different workings in the middle. And the yeah. work are far more detailed than sometimes is done within a temple because in a temple that's, spirit has already had a relationship with someone and they're like, bring me a candle and a bottle of alcohol and, you know, three cigars. And that's just so the spirit can smoke and do the stuff in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. But this thing, mm-hmm. you have no divination, no temple to go to or whatever. And, you know, I will, I will still say that the average Brazilian from the 1950s onward has more exposure to Kimbanda than most Westerners ever will, um, mm-hmm. whether they're involved in a temple or not. So this idea of doing this huge offering of like 21 bottles of champagne, 21 daggers, 21 yards of red cloth, 21 yards of black cloth, and like three chickens that you've never killed anything. Going to a crossroad and appealing to a spirit that has not agreed to talk to you yet, <laughs> that is one of the reasons there's more shit involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The spirit's already down and says like, I'll work with you. Sure. Let's do it. That's yeah. the advantage to those things. And we're talking about not reinventing the wheel because again, someone from a Western mindset is going to fill in what they're what they don't know with their paradigm that they exist in. That is natural. It's not to be stunned by, but it's also to understand that you can turn what you're following a recipe, you know, dot by dot, but you just don't understand necessarily how to fill the things in that you don't know. So uh, again, is Musasin Capapreta? Is Capapreta Musasin? I don't know. That's for them to argue about. Uh, (laughs) In any time I've seen him or work with him, correct someone say, actually, my name is Musasin. (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, Hendrix or whatever his, I can't remember the first name. <laughs> um, but it, it, they often don't like, it's more like, did you pay me? Like, do you right. know, how to call me, pay me and let's go from there. So yeah. practicality, good spirit, discipline, hearing, sight and confirmation through divination and then proving it to, to test the spirit through repeated actions to say, do you do what you say you do? Yeah. And that is something that's better done through the the confines of that safety and that temple. For me, I don't, I don't, you know, my headstrong youth could have done a lot of things. And I'm like, I'm lucky I survived. And even Sabi Musasin, because I mean, I can, there's so much conflation here from the people I know that have really worked the the Verum spirit. Mm. like And mm. I, I don't know you know, if Fontanelle or others that, that really thrived on this kind of like introduction of the inverse kingdoms, um, the lineas as they were the inverse lines, excuse me, kingdoms mm-hmm. kind of articulated later, but um, the inverse lineas and this kind of syncretism between demon and Eshu in this way, you know, certainly it's it's very weird to consider that Bombajeda is just one demon. Yeah. Where's her legion? Like she's got so much, right. but 
it's it's a whole thing of like how is woman her one advantage there? <laughs> like the fact that <laughs> all women are one woman, this is the wrong type of um direction in that maxim. Um, right. So um, <laughs> right. I, I it's hard to know what the motivation was and why it's there. Uh certainly it's fun to actually muse on, especially if you have someone like you who is um fl- very fluent in in verum spirits. And it's certainly made for wonderful conversation with Jake. And to, yeah. to be adamantly like they say is bullshit. I don't agree with you. <laughs> like, yes, and tell me why. Um, <laughs> like, again, you know, speaking of of many things that we've talked about with 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 Jake, he's uh, it's not been a year yet, so I'm trying to observe that proper protocol of like let him ancestralize. But like, what a fucking awesome yeah. thing, and yeah. completely unafraid to be told he's wrong and. Yeah. And also, and often like challenged by it in a way to like, oh, yes, I'll buy you a drink and you can tell me why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that lack of um, hubris, uh, fucking hey, that's like the epitome of nosa magia. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. And and to consider what it means to think about the way oaths are treated in, in different traditions and how they relate to each other, how the revealing of things and the and the obscuring of things for power versus for like the revelation of like on the one hand god's glory but on the other hand the the bloodshed on the battlefield right um these these notions of what we are told by spirits and what we do about that uh is 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 really interesting to me so we could get more battley and talk iron uh we could get more uh intermediary and talk uh messengers on the wind and the and the halo around the moon that is that is uh iris and and, and a plant i hear as well uh, or we could go to uh, Claire audience and think a little bit more about um, the mediumships of 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 uh, uh, of hearing. Yeah, you know, I think I think there's a bridge with Iris that I would like to explore, and maybe I'll forget what that bridge is as we're talking. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Specifically, in the kind of like, let me talk about Claire audience real quick on the way to Iris. And this, mm. like, Claire audience is still categorized under clairvoyance. They're all clairvoyance, right? Or quote unquote main clairs, the four clairs that are discussed in, in spiritual circles of clairaudience, um, clairsentience, clairvoyance, and uh what's the fourth? Claircognizance, right? Mm. So like these fours is like, but where's Claire's Claire smelling and mm-hmm. texture and like things right. like where are these other senses go? Well they're just kind of categorized broadly under clairvoyance. Mm. Uh, which I think there's something interesting about the rainbow of vision there. And the idea that light in spectrum reveals more, that there's light that we cannot see, um, that there's light that we cannot hear, and that there's like radio waves are part of the spectrum of light, x-rays are part of the spectrum of light, and that this is all encapsulated by this concept of iris. And certainly because in in prep for this, Al had said that uh, he had a lot more on the goddess iris than the plant itself. And I was like, sure, I will make fun of you for that on air. That's lovely. I'd I'd stand by my research book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) A way for us to talk about, not necessarily homework uh, yet. Uh, (laughs) And cue Patreon. Um, (laughs) But uh, so my interest in this is is, is in connection to the fleur-de-lis, which we we talked about briefly with the lily. And there's this, there's a lot of contestation around the fact that the fleur-de-lis, L-I-S, is um, people know what the, the lily and the iris are two different flowers and how dare they be confused for each other it becomes this thing of like yes but there's this is where language might help us and not just going off of like modern stick to the modern spelling mm-hmm. because it was, um it was was it 
Francois Veld, Veld, uh, heraldist, that basically was like, look, there's a there's a hypothesis in the 17th century that sounds quite on brand, which is that the wild iris, the the yellow flag in English, it grows in the marshes. Um, which is the azure field of water. Commonly, you see the fleur de as gold or yellow against a blue background, azure background. Yeah. yeah. And the name in German is Leichblum, which is, I don't speak German, so like that's fun. But Leich is also spelled L I E S or L E Y S in the Middle mm. Ages. It's easy to imagine that in northern France, with its German influence, Leichblum might have been called fleur de lis. And that this would explain the name and the formal origin of the design, including the yellow golden shape. Um, against a blue background and right. that uh, there's there's legends that come later because humans create meaning where we don't understand the, re- the relationship between things we're going to make a me- relationship between the two and there- especially in a in a codified set of uh graphic languages uh that we can call heraldry there are the, the numerous examples of using an emblematic of something to represent a bunch of other things uh, of that sort. So rather than tree, it might be oak, but that oak might represent uh, any number, like the the and, and be called an oak in the canting of of how you reproduce that uh, that crest or that that the armory, but isn't necessarily just might cover all sorts of other trees as well. Similarly, like fleur de lis is is one of the plants that is like this. Right. Uh, and, and so definitely covers it. Same as 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 uh, uh, as the garb, right, which is technically a wheat sheaf, but covers all sorts of other is, is used in families that have a, a link to all sorts of other uh, agricultural supply of barley or spices or things like that. And so, yeah, we have a, already a plant that is a uh, is a family and a clan rather than a, a, a particular uh, uh, botanical specimen. And I, I think the argument then that people are like, no, it's a lily and there's all these lovely things to associate with lily in a Catholic way is Virgin Mary and Joseph and all these other things. Sure. But things can be called one thing and have the quote unquote wrong name, especially when French gets standardized much later. Right. And it, it has to be this thing. And France did a really good job at eliminating minority languages mm-hmm. but, and therefore minority spellings mm-hmm. um, as, as time goes on. But, you know, there is, the, there's starting from the, I think the 18th century one was the Pierre-Augustin Bossier, the Sauvage, Sauvage, who was a naturalist, that that's who um, Francois Veld is like, look, this makes sense. We yeah. have like the earliest accounts are yellow, six-pointed, six-petaled six flowers that look mysteriously like yellow flag and grow in marshes. That, mm. you know, heraldry is ultimately reflecting at first your location. Absolutely. And not necessarily you know, things awarded to you later. Like, it's just like, look, we're the place where the, the lilies are. This yeah. is, the, or the, the irises are in that way. And like, it's just like, okay, let's, let's play with that. Um, yeah. So I think the, the conflation that we've, you know, we've talked about lily quite recently, but iris is such a lovely plant because there's, there's, you know, like 300 different types of irises. Right. Um, there's, there's a lot that goes there. I was um, looking at one of the newer um, publications that came out that, you know, is getting mixed reviews, but um, let's just say it's green on the cover. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, this idea of the the flowers and the rhizomes being the most, uh, the, so the roots uh, being the most used. And uh, generally that the rhizomes have uh, an emetic, so it makes, makes you puke and uh, antimicrobial action in the body. So they are used med- medicinally, but the distinct shape mm. of the flowers um, also f- flags, yellow flag, blue flag, all these different things. 
but flags that there might be something special underneath. The the fact that now we associate irises so heavily with like Van Gogh's painting is quite fascinating, right? So this idea of loneliness, um, the one, one white lily again amongst the, the purple-blue lilies, but also that um, uh, it was common to use this as a, a poultice for sores, um, the root specifically, um, and also used to vomiting. Why would you want to vomit? Well, you've swallowed something that's not good for your stomach's upset or you've been poisoned. It's like, these are good things to have, the amenagogues. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a purge. It's a form of like one of the six non-natural principles of regulating your your humors is is evacuation. And while that refers to pooping and peeing, it, uh, it also refers to uh, bloodletting, which again was about uh voiding the most voluminous moisture that contains the others wasn't just about getting rid of the sanguine humors which are more yeah, like yeah. a plasma as i you know as, 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 as <laughs> i feel like i have to say every time and probably don't but they uh are also uh it's yeah it's also covering um uh, making you making you hurl uh as well uh hurling the belching the devil out etc and then I think the, the okay obviously because the root is so used Saturn governance is going to come in because Saturn governs all roots Right. But the fact where it grows, yes, there's so much lunar influence because it grows where there's heavy water. So okay. it generally tends to be either ascribed to the moon or to Saturn. Um, also, the fact that it's an amenagogue always makes me laugh because that should bring a Saturnine connotation, right? Because Saturn vomits up his children. But uh, the the uh, it's tied into, uh, what do you call it, homunculus type of magic, Anakin magic. Um, so the, the uh, especially when you get into Prussia, it's compared to Mandrake. Um, and similar to the, the German various roots, um, it was sometimes used into the um, Luck Wurzel, the shapes that are humanoid shapes carved out of the root. Oh, yeah. um, and that Japan itself has uh, uses uh, a native iris to keep evil spirits away from the home, sometimes calling, carving them into pseudo humanoid shapes. I was reading about that, right? Yeah, they, they hang them from the eaves of houses as well, apparently. Yes. And they can, they can even be added to bathwater, it said, uh, which uh, suggested was a personal protection thing. And then uh, orris root. We would be remiss without referring to orris root, which is a very specific uh, type of iris, right? Um, yeah. uh, Florentina, uh, which is one of the ones that is supposed to be a candidate for the fleur de lis. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's either the other one or Florentina, which is the white one, but because the shape is so echoes the floor, the floor at least so commonly. Mm. Um, but the, this aromatic root, um, Queen Elizabeth root is right. The other name, one of them. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I was just checking so, that. <laughs> so, so sweet smelling that it becomes a staple in allowing other oils to be put into its ground root uh, as a, a powder. Um, yeah. So it becomes uh, associated with feminine uh, beauty. It is likened to the sweet smell of a woman's genitals and is, is in many ways, by the time we get to like American and especially African-American folk magic in hoodoo becomes kind of the female equivalent to high John the conqueror. In right. many um, so you would use high John as a male because it looks like a testicle and you would use orris root for that sweet smell of apparently um, female genitalia. I would not know. It's been a while. Yeah. That's a, that's a good summary though of like, it, on the one hand, does have all of these explicit. It's sweetening. It you know is is added even to like you know has it, it can it can take on a very like candied odor as well. So it's like literally for sweetening work and love and amity as well. But it's also like more more broadly this kind of female em empowerment. Like as Queen Elizabeth root, it's it has that that added sense of yes, finding love, yes, holding love. And that's, that's an interesting distinction all of its own. And I love that notion that like it become it's syrups, right. Become like a way of, 
uh, combining things in a stable form. Like it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's making its palace again. Right. Um, but also this gentility and like associations with regality and nobility of a noble spirit, uh, if not a, a lottery, a birth lottery ticket into the aristocracy. So yeah, the, 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 the Oris as, um, as a pendulum as well. Right. That's, uh, uh one of its, its uses that crops up in, uh, Southern conjure at least, uh, at times, especially around pointing to love again, getting at like, what brings up for me again, like, you know, all of the, the love divination works, uh, with, you know, apple peels and, uh, rosemary wands and any number of other things on St. Agnes's Eve or, or Midsummer Eve, these, 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 uh, small, uh, intimate acts of, uh, of, of looking towards and, uh, aligning to, or, um, forecasting of, you know, the, 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 the primary concerns of, of who you're going to spend the rest of your, if not their life with. I find the bearded irises very interesting, which is there's several, several species of bearded iris and beard is because the lower petals tend to have little hairs um, yeah. of fall petals. Um, so sometimes uh, they're distinctly, they're there to help pollinators get up into the plant, mm-hmm. but, um, or that's what we, you know, that's what they've co-evolved into. Um, but the bearded lore is quite interesting there and it's sometimes compared to the uh, the pubic region and to show that it is a f- that it is important for women to the kind of doctrine of signatures and um, uh, appeal to uh, genital health and, and and that way of going about. Mm. But also um, I know that the there's a lot of there's a high concentration of different bearded irises in the Balkans and in Greece um, in multiple colors and some people feel that it's probably it might even be one of the reasons for the um, the association of the goddess with the plant. But I also have read that there's, and I'm saying this because I'm appealing to your, your, your love of the goddess Iris here of um, there's a lot of plants that are said to be named for her. And we don't necessarily know that this is the only, like it's, it's, it's become less and less. It's kind of like how there's no proof that um, Conion is the actual is actually poison hemlock it's popular tradition that socrates was killed with poison hemlock no he was killed with conion but Mm -hmm. that is the greek name for a plant that you know and is it is it is if we take the trial description this is a this is a tangent wow (laughs) the trial description that he went into his death quietly there is no way that that's actually poison hemlock because he would have involuntary spasms froth at the mouth and seizures Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, is this a tribute to the majesty that is Socrates that he was able to do that and meet his death with stoicism? And that's is is it an accurate description or is it a, is it a, is it a legendary description? And you know we can't necessarily mistake one for the other or even rule out that it maybe it's a little bit of both. Right. Um, so, but again, Conion is now attributed to poison hemlock, but we don't quite know. There are several plants that go under that name. We know it's you know, a, probably a dill relative by the names of plants that go in that way. So similarly, huh. Iris, there's so many plants that go yeah. in Iris with 300 species at least. Um, and many of them are hybrids of themselves. So there it's, Iris is making new irises. Yeah. The light is reflecting on the refractions. Yeah. All kaleidoscopic. Yeah. 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 Well, it being rainbow, right. But the name is also uh, it refers to the halo of the moon as well. So I imagine, you know, especially poetically, any, group of ring of flowers or any flowers that are obviously of the same shape, but a, a variety of colors as they can grow together like that is going to potentially be referred to as a, as a, a you know, a rainbow on the field. So, okay, let's explore this tangent of Edis of Iris because why this flower? 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's an interesting one. I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not certain. I don't think there was any one point where I was like, oh, she's the god of 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 Oris roots, and therefore this this all totally makes sense. There's a there's a, there's a combination with this divinity, this messenger divinity of of being partly of the sea and partly of the particularly of the winds, but of the sky. And I guess the the interplay between those two things that that, that makes a a flower between the you know she's referred to as well so she's the daughter of Oceanus uh, so excuse me she's the, the god of the sea god uh, Thaumas yeah. and Electra who is daughter of Oceanus and, and Tethys she's sister of the harpies and she's referred to as a goddess of sea and sky she links humanity right to this 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 notion of her traveling with the speed of the wind from one end of the world to the other uh, and this this idea of, of being able to venture into the depths of the sea and the underworld as well so she's far darting in that like Hecatean sense, but A is 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 a relative seems a relatively quote minor deity. There's the stories of her turning up in in other gods kind of cycles, but there's supposedly relatively little historic uh, like evidence at least of historical cult and worship in the surviving records. Uh, there's a couple bits and pieces apparently surviving from the island of of, of Delos, Delos. But she's depicted as uh, as a as a messenger primarily. She's carrying a caduceus. She's winged. And is also said to have a, a pitcher of water frequently. So there's this again, this this notion of like linking the earth of people and the the sky and the light of 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 the gods and the the flower that that grows between them, I guess. But that's again why that particular flower. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I I'm I'm, I'm also especially interested, obviously, in uh, seeing where the the divinities of the winds themselves turn up. And, and Iris is supposedly consorted with uh, Zephyrus. Oh, Zephyr, right? The the West Wind and one of the four uh, Animoi. Uh So I'm, um, yeah. I, there's a there's a westerly influence here, and so that's always going to make me kind of like think about what else I I find in the West, and uh, you know, especially if you've got an airy association already, so you're into realms of of uh, the scent of things and the use of it in scent as well. So we're back to maybe uh, the 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 halo of the of the flower colors being an aura or a uh, a circlet if you will upon the the mysteries of the or the, the 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 potency of the of the root maybe i mean i can ascribe meaning to it yeah that's so that's the fun part <laughs> um, but i do think that that's so, with so many species of iris being endemic to the mediterranean it's quite fascinating because they're similar structurally plants but they're all considered a a group name of flower under the name of iris or iris and out of that comes that it comes in so many colors um, it also is, uh, this is a perennial, right? Like it, it's going mm. to the ground, it's going to disappear. It's going to come back, which shows just like the messenger herself can go into the depths of hell and come back. There's also this lovely thing with Iris, the, the goddess, right? Of, as you're saying, she's minor. She's, she's technically an equivalent to, to Hermes as far as messenger of the gods. Mm. Yet she's intimately tied to the female deities mm. and her sister Arke is, uh, betrays the Olympians and goes to serve the Titans during the 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 war. Right, and, one of the harpies. Yeah, yeah. And Zeus rips off her wings and gives them to Thetis, who then in turn gives them to Achilles, to Achilles, and who wears them on his feet. So he has you know winged feet, and Isis carries a caduceus, which is the the symbol of the messenger gods. And there's quite a few more messenger gods than our neat little like you know, Mercury is the one who's doing everything at all times. Hermes is the one doing it. Like, it's interesting to consider the those holes, right? I find that wonderfully uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is she, yeah, is so she, she, 
is she outshone? Is she simply getting on with, you know, the actual, uh, uh, you know, information economy of the gods and 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 people, and uh, and is too busy doing her job to to have a bunch of temples formed to her or what have you? Uh, also, her conflation with Nike in imagery that people can't tell if it's her or Nike shows that obviously, apparently, winged victory must have something to do with the Caduceus. Well, 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 quite is the message of victory that which like rallies troops to produce victory. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're into we're into some like uh, revelatory divination, not just like what's the best course of action, but like here's word from the gods about like what's a good course of action. She's also, um, excuse me, the one that is speaking of going into the underworld. Isn't she the one that carries sticks water or is that just based on the painting? Mm. The 18th century painting that I'm, I know happily. Um, yeah. It's Iris that in going into the underworld to carry sticks water up for the gods to swear by, to make oaths by. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, there's there's a lot of, she's. it's almost like she's on the errands. If Mercury does all gods, then she seems to be serving specifically not just gods, but or only the gods in this way. Like she's not necessarily one by human contact as much. Um, but I, again, there are plenty of people who are more knowledgeable in the Greek pantheon than me. Um, and certainly one of the benefits of it all is that there's so much conflicting information the more you study that it actually starts to feel like yes this is real practice as opposed to the super, super simplistic like here's the 12 days <laughs> and nothing ever will vary right um, i like that there's this connection to to delusion cult uh you know which mm. is uh, apollo and artemis are from um and uh asteria who's uh one of the sisters of, of hecate um or mothers of hecate and is also uh goes literally turns into the island of delos in order that. to in order to shelter uh leto their mother the apollo and artemis's mother so yes. like um the, this intrinsic relationship with the sun and the moon that is also now tied to stars and hecate and to other celestial phenomena like rainbows of iris which can only happen when you know uh you you know well not only but the the combination of you know water in air right this this winged but also carrying this uh this vase or this uh amphora or this 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 water jug of some kind uh yeah the pouring out of things across the across the sky um and also just uh i know that there's uh uh i saw mention of a, a play a satyr play a satire being titled uh Aetis. and so of course i just associate her now with that you know naked men with ponytails up their butts recounting the tragedy of just scenes so that you don't go home you know hating the world <laughs> and now some light comic relief after all that like moita and now for and, something really different yeah um, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah but, uh, golden winged swift footed uh wind footed dewy wondrous one storm footed storm swift and wandering the clouds with her picture so she's always tied to to water itself as a mm. she's both like a strange version of a cupbearer but also um messenger primarily communication mm. is new endeavors uh sometimes uh dressed in rainbow colors sometimes uh dressed in white as i believe historically even though i, I said this earlier um my notes don't lie um because i wrote them down before now of <laughs> Uh, she does. Uh, she is tied to the fulfillment of humans' prayers. Uh, that she she does. She's tributed to when um, any of the messenger deities are, are invoked, but that like fulfillment of prayers, she is praised. 
And that might just be like the specialness of like the rainbow has landed on you. I don't know. Here's the here's the uh, the 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 go light of of the gods being like yes. Uh, prior to it being you know specifically Abrahamic of and don't let me do this again. There is uh, a main belt asteroid named after her. Um, oh, cool. Mars and Jupiter. Um, it's the fourth brightest asteroid in the in the belt. So it has a stony composition. It's you know there's some some stuff there. So you can see her position in astrological charts should you want to. And I believe uh, there's Iridium, right, is named after um, all of its kind of peacocky salts that it can. That yeah. It and uh, oh, see, there we go. The plant iris was named after her due to the wide variety of colors its flowers have. Yeah. Watery land, halo around the moon. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I was already going to think, I was like, oh, but the irises are kind of like the halo around these lunar areas that are very mm-hmm. marked. Like the beauty of it coming up, but it's really just lots of colors. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, no, so wrong with that too. So we've done some iris there. I think I think the I can't even remember what the original was there that I was that I was alluding to. Oh, clear audience and rainbows of like um, messenger. So it is there, right? The iris, yeah. the messenger, the systems that are there, the messages of the unseen. Uh-huh. It's itself um, being under the guise of clairvoyance or under the larger category of clairvoyance clairaudience meaning clear hearing and um, one of the gifts of St. Clair if you're an espiritista mm. uh, uh, the gifts for contacting spirit hearing spirit accurately I, I think ultimately clairaudience and, and I remember you saying very specifically that you had mostly questions about <laughs> um, yeah yeah, I think so. I think so. It's not something I come across uh, an awful lot in uh, grimoric books of secrets or, or, or magical operations and experiments. Um, you set plenty of experiments for uh, seeing spirits uh, from the auguries of weather conditions, which can uh, make them more easy to, to to conjure or more difficult to actually like how spirits are meant to come forth or indeed the descriptions of the images and emblems that we're meant to use and fashion in order to speak to them. But also like, you know, the, the more spirit contact stuff, not just hearing accurately or seeing accurately, like reading the book of nature, you know, at what point is it wind magic? At what point is it meteorology? But also that like, there are markers in say like the fourth book when it has, it's like planetary spirit spotters guide where it says, you know, when you summon uh, this kind of planetary spirit, you're going to, see these kinds of things around the circle so there's 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 pointers for visual stuff there's even pointers for for olfactory business you know beyond uh, arguments over whether you summon bad spirits with good smells or bad smells there are smells warned about that show the i guess i'm i'm, I'm interested here in like the particular visionary encounters where a spirit is making itself known right you get uh warns about like the terrible breath of, of of demons right that it, it smells horrible but you don't see so much about hearing things beyond like there's operations to hear pleasant music again shout out to our, our girl Klepoth. and occasionally there's stuff about hearing spirits uh as confirmation if you've like conjured your scrying stone right you you, you sometimes are said to hear the spirit but again more commonly you're seeing either a, a shadowy thing in the stone or even in some cases the idea of the stone moving slightly uh, so the idea of, of of what it means to divine by hearing things and, and, and hear spirits also for me uh, comes more under the, the auspices of understanding the language of birds, 
uh, as in our chemical term, but also like literally understanding the speech of animals by its augury, you know, when the, when the cock crows, et cetera, versus uh, listening to the crackles of response in pyromancy. Uh, so especially pyromantic techniques that work on like, not just building a fire and, and listening to it, but setting particular questions and putting particular things to represent particular people in a, in a situation and listening to how the fire responds to burning like that handful of corn versus that handful of barley and things like that. So I, I was kind of like summarizing where I've come from in terms of seeing these as operations of, of, of hearing things, but it does seem that it's more tied to the development of mediumship as a, as a concept and, and more in line with the psychism of, 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 of communicating with spirits, of hearing them speak and of speaking back to them. And so I, I guess I was more curious about like where you see, uh, how you see clairaudience kind of treated in the, in the, the traditions of the practice of, of both old and, and quote, new world magics. I think in it, this discussion of, of it doesn't seem to be intrinsically separated from clairvoyance yeah. is important because certainly many goetic spirits are accompanied by trumpets and symbols. Sure. If that's the case, are you seeing floating trumpets and symbols or are you hearing them? Right, right. Dialogue with spirits itself. How are you getting any information from something that is just a shadowy figure in a glass if it's not mm. inspiring conversation? Mm. Um, and so I, I don't know if it's separate, you know, it's not talked about as something separate from that because it's usually so in part with that. So I guess we can first separate the things where we know we're not going to see something, but we're going to hear a response. You get things from like God acknowledging Jesus as his son at the baptism by John the Baptist mm-hmm. is a, form of a voice from nowhere that, you know, did everybody hear it? Did, you know, what is that right. thing from there versus, you know, the personal whisperings of, especially in spiritist influence things and these namings of things of clairaudience and clairsentience and claircognizance and clairvoyance of some people hear things without seeing them and they hear the voices that come in, you know, this type of, um, I think also because we're primarily visual beings that oftentimes if we start to hear things, we start to visualize what it might be regardless of whether or not it's accurate. Mm-hmm. And the- don't when we can't place a noise or a voice it freaks us out well you don't know what it's it's just intrinsically i can it's like a built into us so i'm not sure that i think it has to be solely i'm not sure you're saying this but i don't think it has to be just these extra things of of language of birds and firecrafting that's wonderful those are ways of interpreting those specific things which are said to be gifts right but also every interaction of spirit sight if you're not lip reading and they're not using sign language in some way how are you negotiating anything without hearing something right and, and what that sounds like even the records of, of clear audience um it's not going to sound like a human voice in your head so it's just a thought that you know you know yes or no mm. and what's interesting is when you're developing these these uh techniques in modern schools of psychicism and psych- psychicism is that the word psych psych <laughs> psychic development let's go there or, or modern witchcraft or magic that you're told to just use your intuition you'll know whether it's yes or no well mm-hmm. you're using words there and a lot of people don't think in words and i get that i am not someone you know i'm a visual thinker um and it takes a lot for me to consider and be like okay is it yes or no and it's more of a gut feeling that i associate with those words than mm-hmm. actually hearing yes or no but some people actually hear yes or no and mm-hmm. is that their own bicameral mind evolving where they can comment on things in that way i don't know Oh, that's not how my brain works, but I I don't know how separate it is from anything like that. I mean, because that we give those words, and words are trapped memories of both visual imprints, the writing, 
as well as, you know, are, when you think in words in your head, do you think in seeing things in writing or do you think in an audio voice? And, uh, you know, if you're talking to a demon and, you, you know, it says that you have to move backwards, how do you know that? You know, is it shooing its hands like you're on a plane and it's like, hey, the exit's behind you? Mm-hmm. Or saying move backwards and people will say, oh, I'm hearing, you know, this name, J- John, John, John. And the person's like, oh, yeah, John. So, mm-hmm. like, is it pure? I mean, are we going to invoke the kind of, Famous, uh, what's his name? James Randi, you know, who's still, I think, uh, I think he's passed now. Um, but the, the offering of $1 million to anyone who can provide a genuine psychic power um, under proper scientific observation, who can prove it. Right. Or like the Blackmore's first law, uh, as it's called, that people's desire to believe in the paranormal is stronger than all the evidence that it has, that it doesn't exist. <laughs> You know, as 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 magicians, as as whatever the hell we are calling ourselves this week, there's something to this that again, clair clairvoyance doesn't even look like people imagine it to. Yes, you can develop your visualization, you can develop those things um, to be strongly to the point where it's almost like you're seeing things when you close your eyes, perhaps that are almost as vivid as when your eyes are open. But mm-hmm. for a lot of people, these are flashes. Um, they might be overlays. Some people do have the full quote unquote hallucinatory effect of like, you know, Macbeth's dagger. But what is it when, you know, he's hearing sleep no more? Is it like, were those true voices? Were those the witches? Were the were they embodied spirits? Is that clear audience or is it, uh, is there a difference between clear audience when it's just, you know, spirits or when it's actual people around you? What is the thing of like, you know, the the supposed technology of like cops that can, use laser technology and hear inside your car if they drive up alongside you. Mm. Uh, and, and is that a form of clair- technological clairaudience? Mm. Uh, clairaudience is just having really good hearing clairaudience. I don't know. Clear hearing, There is no, we've never been able to prove that there's such things as paranormal through someone saying, I can hear this voice. And then you can say, well, tell the spirit to go look at the order of the cards on the other side of the table. And, and no one's ever been able to do it right. at the same time. Those of us involved in many of this is, are we just interpreting random things and clicks in our head and associations? And did we hear it? I don't know. Mm. You know because of things like Blackmore's law, which is, you know, our desire to believe in the paranormal is stronger than the evidence that it doesn't exist. Right. We are programmed to make meaning and to justify things. Mm. And part of what we do as humans. So I think clear audience in this case, is it like dreams? Is it like, what was it, what was it just reading about the kind of savior mechanism that comes in? Uh, during grief that we might have strange dreams and Freud's dream of the father that, you know, that, that is bemoaning his son and dreams that uh, his son says like, father, I'm burning. And he wakes up and he sees the candle is now tipped over on the coffin and he puts out the fire and, you know, it makes him feel like he could save his son because mm-hmm. you know that's a desired output of the brain. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the child talked to him because it, but in our paradigm, we allow that maybe it's both. Right. Maybe we we might allow that maybe the son did communicate with him or that it was an external voice that was like, Hey, you're, you're going to burn everything down. Um, yeah. and it helps him to realize that, Oh, I, you know, I saved my son in death in a way that I couldn't save him in life. Um, right. Right. There's a component of, of, of clear hearing. That's also about putting the phone down at a certain point of putting the, you know, the the entheogen pipe down once you get the, the of, of of you know once you have heard the uh, the message put the phone down kind of stuff right of 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 what do you do with that then how does that inspire you to go and fight the English which again is where like again it's tested by how useful it is right beyond the 
the the potential grandiosity of 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 getting a message from god or from you know the archangel michael or what have you like what does that actually what's that what's that do for you <laughs> like how does that uh, what's that do for the world you know how are you, how how is that uh helping you understand like you say finding your your meaning in this this crazy old world yeah and i think uh, certainly these notions of clear audience um, within within a, a larger kind of Christian Judeo Christian context, right, where we're seeing an upswing of I mean, Spiritism is certainly po- post Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. and kind of egalitarian this belief that anybody can talk to God and interpret God's word. And I don't know, you do see people oh, so many new messengers and prophets and things like that. And it's like okay, the church stomped those out in the past. So maybe there was just as many as there always were. Mm. There's always this like. I don't know. What is this? This like, when you're hearing voices, what is the thing that flips it from demonic to divine or divine? Mm. And is it just merely in the like? Well, the proof is in the pudding afterwards. Like, what do they advise you to do? And I right. think, like, I guess in the kind of like uh, my very bad understanding of 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 psychology of like a lot of magicians, for instance, I know have expressed fear of going to therapy because they feel they're going to be judged for their beliefs mm. and. Um, you know, we've we've had great dialogue um, and interaction with with the psych community, um, especially like with people like Vanessa, who's Sinclair, who's fucking awesome. Yeah. But her point in one of these joint sessions of the psych art cult, uh, please do more of them, Vanessa. But uh, that a therapist's job is not to judge what works for you, but can you function and are you happy? Right. If, if right. talking to Saint Margaret every night, she talks back, but somehow you are functioning as an adult and like, you know, your commitments that you want to make, you're able to uphold them. Not the ones that are always expected of you. Like that was very phrased in that way of like the choices that you want to make. Are you able to fulfill and get the life that you want? Then who mm. cares if you're talking to things? Right. Right. It's, it's, all religion can be judged by that in that way. So, and like, you know, just because you can it, now a biased person would be like, Oh, well, I don't necessarily think that's good for you to be, you know, killing pigeons to that, you know, pile of stones and, metal things and dirt in the corner and it talks to you and tells you what to do okay we have a difference with like the mexican president who was a spiritist and listened for spirits to guide him every single night in his policies for the next day i mean reagan was an about well specifically nancy reagan was an about astrologer or astrologist you know perhaps whether or not she was (laughs) astrologer but like there's something linking all those things together i don't know i find claire audience wonderfully fascinating for for someone who is you know been in seance and 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 espiritismo uh training for so long it just becomes this thing of like i hear things sometimes before i see them i'm primarily a visual thinker but sometimes you hear things it's and it's off-putting and there's a difference of between like remembering the sound of a word which Mm -hmm. i think is it's not going to be as loud but there's times where i'm falling asleep and you hear like the dream speaks a certain way like oh crap that was really loud it's like resounding and Mm -hmm. it's always heard it or when people hear their names or um, you know, a certain undisclosed location that you that we both know very well of like going around and whispering to people, good night, as people are falling asleep and they all hear it and it like travels around the room. You're like, I mean, somebody's playing a joke or something is pretty much on. <laughs> you know, as one of the four Claire's, it's not, it's not quite, it's just interesting to me to think what is the relationship to to, to the voice and the vision, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um what is, what is the relationship between those things? What is it when the dub is off, right? And we it freaks us out when someone mm. has time delay and we can see the, hear the sound, but the the space isn't, rec, you know, matching to it, the visual recognition. Yeah. And similarly with Claire audience, there's, there's, it's off-putting. What is the source of this 
sound? What is what are these voices coming from? So I guess that's I mean, yes, it's inspired by by Joan, but there's something largely there. I think of um Sinequiche, um, which is a, a plant in the Americas, uh Hemiasacafolia, I believe. Um, and it's uh grows from Mexico down to like Argentina. Um, mm-hmm. it's an indescriptive, I mean the bush isn't particularly remarkable, it has a soft yellow flower, but there's this evidence of it being used where it would um, be used to bring on clear audience and huh. not necessarily, you don't necessarily get the answers to questions you want. You just hear <laughs> voices. So, you know, the leaves are put into a cup or a jar, cool water is added and the mixture is placed in the sun and it's in the sun specifically to ferment for at least 24 hours. And mm. during that fermentation process, the sun is said to go into um, the water and allow the voices of ancestors that wish to get messages across to, to, to speak. Right. So this is an interesting thing. Um, let's say in the Stella, Stella witchcrafty world, um, we could consider right now, this also tell you the date that this is being recorded, but Algol is Kazimi right now. So Kazimi being when the, when, it goes from combust to actually behind the sun and the sun is said to amplify certain effects of stars and planets. Mm-hmm. There's various schools of thoughts on what fixed stars can do, but if a star goes Kazemi and it's aligned to the sun while it's Kazemi, of course, that's a different election. We are now lo- no longer in the night school. We're in a different thing. What is a star doing behind the sun? We mm-hmm. That's for different cultural contexts to do, but it also makes for very, very different solar elixirs during that time of what stars are behind the sun and free from combust, which is as the star approaches or a planet, whether wandering or, or fixed, approaches yeah. the, the sun, that it is it loses power. It's burnt by its rays, mm-hmm. but at a certain point it goes behind it and aligns with it and therefore must be in some sympathy with it. So it, it makes me think of what would it be right now to have an Algol Kazemi sun elixir through Sinequiche, which is used to give auditory clear audience. I mean, yeah. audience. to give clear audience or to give uh, ear to the voices we don't normally hear. So it, that's my more practical. And if we ever do our goal of this, is the episode I leaked this thing of like, we're trying to find more ways to share practical things, both on the air, but also through, through other means, newsletters and, and future working so please encourage yeah. us and, and help and help us manifest this um goal of of more content and perhaps published content and things like that Either and experimenting with this stuff as well and, and seeing it as a, as a way of talking to folks that are uh, you know interested in going along these these long walks and short tangents that we do as part of this podcast and and being like okay let's 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 try that thing out that sounds interesting let's and let's yeah. potentially have a you know a, a a way of being able to see how uh you know members of our community are are working with this stuff. I also like Sinequiche Hemiosacophilia because it is not endangered. Um, It is more than likely wonderfully secure. It's not as prominent, so they're not going to say it's immediately secure, but it is considered apparently secure. It's not at risk for anything. Okay. not sold as much in a dried form. So you actually have to grow it and you have to have the fresh leaves for this. So if, for me, anytime you can cultivate a relationship with a living plant by nurturing it, let's say for a full year before you start using it, because you do want it to grow enough that you're not like taking all its leaves and it's like, I can't breathe now. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> so like that cultivation of a plant in, in, in contract with that living plant, putting yourselves under the capa preta of this contract, right? Mm. Um, the black cape of like soil here. 
uh this is all expansion this is not orthodox and please don't come at me for that shit but like this is what we do right um <laughs> so uh, yeah i like it for that i like that you know it doesn't seem to have hugely toxic uh warnings with it um this is something that it has been used for uh in in various groups in uh mexico and central america and then by experimenters since this has been found out you know god bless Arrowhead and all of its <laughs> But this is a much because Claire audience isn't necessarily as fun and people just will hear crackles and pops at first, mm-hmm. like they're talking to them that, oh, there's a whole other thing there with like hearing the dead and that that guy that did the early radio experiments that we mm-hmm. used to about, like that. OK, we'll have to revisit him maybe as a as a dead magician. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. EVP isn't isn't just limited to like a particular type of radio that can give you static. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about static as opposed to like uh glimmering um yeah the the, the auditory technologically uh, aided their audience is like a oh is its own huge part of modern parapsychology right for sure uh, yeah yeah absolutely yeah 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 for sure so and maybe that's i think that is an interesting one to explore in the future but anyway mm-hmm. so um such practicalities as things with sinequiche and and, <laughs> and uh yay practical um mm-hmm. and toxic and having to form relationships with plants as far as which is funny because it's, it's a flower. So I always think like Joan flower, but like, she's probably going to come in at the end. I, I, I don't know. What's the, what's the segue here? Is it Quella? Is it iron? Is it strength? Iris to iron. Well, okay. So as the rainbow falls to earth, so too does the sky. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The... Uh, which of old was called iron and sky iron and, and meteorite and the evidence that the sky is made of iron, but okay. Iron itself. This is a huge friggin' topic, and I feel like in the future, like, there's so many things that can be extrapolated from this because there's other uh, geomantic associations and and Odu ascriptions to this. And it's funny that we, the one that we pick is for me has very little to do with iron, but uh, certainly with strength and like the lance-bearing saint of Joan of Arc was given a gift of armor, um, which steel is is not you know the same, but is still contains iron. Um, right, is, is 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 a child like you said. You mentioned the ch- the children of steel, right? Like, yeah, is is a child of iron. Yeah, so we have to. There's something to that. Uh, so iron itself, as a as, it's funny because we usually say um, stone, mm. and it is a stone. It's it's just that we usually refer to it as a mineral. But you can have a a a hunk of iron or in your hand, and it, it is just it's a very very heavy thing. So iron has so much lore around it. And this marker of the iron age, I think is particular, particularly interesting for us within the magical world view is it's one of the markers of the civilizations that never used iron and those that have fallen into the degradation of iron and it's kind of Orkian um, Sodoman influenced. Right. It's, 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 a, it's a dark metal that was wrought by ill means and poisons the earth and uh, uh, does bad things because it shatters our weapons. Yes, and and the the difference between the copper and the and the bronze and these things that are like copper is much easier to mine than iron. There's less figure of it being where the rape of the earth, um, mythologically and 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 just the mining and smelting process is so different. And like sky iron is so valued, but once you can mine iron, all bets are off. And this this hardening mm. 
this way, the blacksmith gods and what they become. And the, the relationship, of course, is so fascinating. We forget that with like Thor is the thunderer and it's the, the thunder, the anvil of heaven is making those noises. But also the fact that, you know, as the hammer thrower, as many other things, that's the iron falling. That's the sky iron falling to earth. Um, that then we try and imitate with our impure versions of like mining it out, but all iron being like, oh, it fell from the sky in some way in ancient times. Obviously, that's not true. Iron forms here as well. But there's this difference that Damascus steel was developed as a wheel, a way to kind of fold sky iron into patterns to infuse a larger number of weapons with this sky iron alloy. Uh, the idea that sky iron does not hurt Fey in the same way that iron does, and that iron is intrinsically related to what is much later viewed as Christian influence through the iron of the church bell and the, you know, the, the nails right. of the cross and mm-hmm. these I mean, as enemies to those denizens of the other world who only talk to us through clairaudience and clairvoyance. Yeah. The, the, the nail that holds the wood together that cleaves this other substance that is so readily available, but in order to destroy the forest, we must have the metal that takes it down. It's not, we're not yeah. just fell, fell wood. I was just thinking about how, yeah, this this idea of like all these thunder deities and that lightning is 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 a is a bridging of 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 heaven and earth as well, and the idea of like it being lightning bolts that are cast down, uh, and and the the linking of uh, you know that to uh, not just um, meteoric iron or sky iron, but also any number of other things that fall to the earth, uh, but also like thunderstones, for instance, thought to have come from you know above to below. And that we also have this this idea of like the the thunder that presages the change of earth is heard, but is also part of a flash of that which is seen and is also ultimately about what actually happens on earth, not just uh, what we can discern happening a ways away or in heaven. I love the, the connection there of clear audience and clairvoyance again of, of seeing yeah. it being intrinsically related. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 it's, it's, it's part- it's not image is not refined solely to the, what is seen because what is seen is, is flashing and incredibly powerful, but also like potentially blink and you miss it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and go blind and it's, in it's hugeness. Right, 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 right. And you certainly don't want to be hit by it. Yeah. 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 So, so we see iron warding off all sorts of bad things, right? Most notably, you know, the reams and reams of things that are written and reflected on about like horseshoes, especially in like the 19th century where, People didn't just want to report popular observations or customs or what have you, but also wanted to explain them, right? So you get all sorts of stuff about why why horseshoes particularly, but also like, like seeing at least in the in the British Isles folklore of iron that it's uh, it's something else you touch to ward off bad omens, right? We think about touching wood as I don't know more colloquially nowadays. I I, I, I find myself doing it when we are when 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 you don't want to plan threatened like hopefully we'll do such and such right um mm. but the idea of of um of seeing a thing that could be potentially a bad omen so not like seeing your house burn down because that's a little more than just an omen that's actually the thing happening right but like hearing the the bird that your village says connotes that someone's going to lose their house right and then touching iron about that touching a hunk of it touching a blade but also just like the ore or like anything that is iron especially bells or like keys right and so this idea of it being something that we pay some kind of brief homage to as yes protective yes carrying it with us yes being in physical contact with it but also that we go to it to to make sure that an omen of something 
the the clear audience of like the birds telling you that battle's coming uh, gets to ward that in some way uh, or at least gets to be the thing that we can gather around right and that that's just in and of itself it's interesting to how often it's paired with tying it to hagstones for similar kinds of like specific protections around the house so like one over the bed to prevent nightmares or or battle against nightmares or like keys especially tied to hagstones the idea of like the lock and the key there that which you look through and that which you know turns the world that is that is is moved through and that's that's just iron in its like various forms in terms of treating iron oh gosh uh, uh uh making iron red hot is used in so many different uh works of unbewitching in in a variety of of, of british isles cunning crafts uh whether that's heating a, a a red hot poker and putting it into milk to to unbewitch it or a variety of the ways in which a patient's personal concerns chiefly their urine uh is also boiled away in a metal container or is is stabbed with a with a pitchfork that's been heated in metal that, that, that's been that's been heated red hot as well so this idea of like metal um whether it's you know even down to in places that it would might seem unsafe like putting metal blades in a baby's cot right uh less for the the kid to wield themselves um uh, babies are you know uh not dual wielders immediately you know, specialize in their skill tree for that, but that you would put a blade in the, in some of the lining of the, of the thing. So it's protecting. So again, this idea of like arming ourselves is one thing, but the, the idea of like heating it up to provide even more of it's like, it's, it's, it's ability to uh, sever or uh, burn up or cauterize. Yeah. I think um, one of my first awakenings to, the non-universality, despite what I wanted to believe as a as a as a as a wonderful dapper young teenager of the alchemical metals, uh, was finding uh you know, studying Latin and being like, I'm gonna choose to study the Picatrix, why not? Cause and it, I'm so glad that I didn't credit myself with learning things better at that time, because <laughs> far better than people than me know a lot more about astrology and Latin to be able to translate it later. Or Arabic. For that matter, uh, but that iron is is a Saturnine metal in uh, in in the Picatrix, like copper. Yeah, is- and in and in the things we call Vedic astrology as well. Um, there's there's particular charms of like uh, Saturnine charms of a, uh, a a ring that has been formed from a uh, uh, the horseshoe the shoe of a black horse. Mm-hmm. It's like a huge one because used for all sorts of Saturnine work. Definitely, I think there's an uh, uh, part of the division perhaps i might propose or i'm asking a question or something the division between how western europe has been challenged by this idea of image magic in a way that the arab aligns with the vedic aligns with kind of certain other traditions that is a lot more easy to explain why it might be a man holding the you know a sword to the throat of a king as an astrological image and the West kind of just taking that for like, okay, we have to do that because we don't necessarily understand the source of that image in the same way or the impulse. We can justify it later in some ways. And I think about that with, um, and I'm not proposing it a, that that's a fault. It's just there's a difference in translating those images, different co- different concurrent uh, evolutions or whatever you want to call it. Similarly to, and certainly can be brought up with geomancy, right? Of like, right. Um, and I've talked, we've talked about this probably and not together, but certainly both of us have talked about this with Sam 
over the years of like, is Western geomancy an incomplete version of Arabic geomancy? No, it's a differently evolved version. There are things that we can see that are directly traceable to Arabic geomancy and other right. things that evolved in a specifically Central and Western European mindset to mm-hmm. use and adapt it. Because as we as we talked about earlier, if you're adapting another system to, and you're reading about it, you're going to fill in what you don't know with what you know. And yeah. that means that it will eventually evolve towards that in the same way that like, um, I uh, saw this TikTok with a guy at Oxford who was interviewing a, a linguist too. It's just like, how do you feel about universal languages? And it's like, I mean, sounds very colonial. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Tried it with Esperanto, which is, you know, just Eurocentric. But the idea that there might be a universal language, that the way humans work, that within a hundred years, there would be a thousand languages again, because yeah. we, we do have, have, have in jargon, we do have in, in, you know, in dialogue that we create with our with our social group that is not going to be shared by people on the other side of the world. And so languages will always evolve, even though media might have reduced that. There are still so many variants of, of, of modern English, despite media being transmitted so heavily in English. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, praise for the chaos that is language and language. <laughs> but I guess similarly, I guess I'm, I'm saying that in, in, in this way, that there was a point in there. Um, <laughs> I did find it interesting that there are notions that come around. And again, this, this feels a little murky 19th century historians, although there are, there's evidence of it later as well, that early um, agriculturalists were very dubious about using iron. There's a case in Europe of like the widespread use of it in Poland at a certain point uh, came just before a very bad series of harvests. And so, for a good while in, in Polish kind of folklore was regarded that you shouldn't um, use iron plows. Um, ancient Greek plows are, are wood. That seems a, a very common material. Even uh, there are reports I found of um, early uh, North American colonies of what will become the United, these United States where various um, settlers uh, expressed a uh, concern about using iron in this new Eden and that like paradise should be plowed in a different way that doesn't um, bring a, a bad metal that could potentially, yeah, there's talk of like it poisoning the earth and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and the, you know, you do find bits in preserved in, in, in English folklore around like places that still use like stone knives for things, even at like the church fate stuff. So this idea of when iron and when not iron is really interesting to me. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. You think of plowshoes, right? Like mm. I had I saw plows made of metal growing up, but it was much more common for people to have a big hunk of wood that they attached a plowshoe to. That like the front of it is metal and yeah. the wood pulls it forward because who's gonna have I mean forecasting in the industrial era, yeah. like <laughs> much easier to forge a plowshoe. Yeah, and also makes a lot more sense of some of the anointing stuff that you see in Plow Monday work of uh-huh. like, you know, uh, 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 having our little, um, let's make this about epiphany for a second. Uh, like the, you know, the, the the periods of things done, like anointing the plow, uh, uh, feeding the plow, making it drink, even like feeding, like feeding animals uh, or like birds, like killing a rooster for it and those all to the the field and that kind of thing like yeah it starts to make a lot more sense when the plow itself is 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 wood or when it's metal again how things change and uh remain or adapt there are intrinsic relations i love the let's talk about obvious things iron it rusts red which is then red gets associated with that rusty color and blood um and 
they didn't know that it's made of rust, but Mars is made of rust. So there's a high iron content to Mars composition. Right. And the, this connotation of red metal, um, that even when it's black, it becomes red, which speaks to the God of War very highly in our minds and how we perceive things, mm-hmm. but not necessarily um, the stratagems of war, like the the Athena side of things or the, you know, the, the, the structure, but bloodlust for bloodlust's sake, the violence of that planet uh, as we ascribe to it. Um, what did Mars ever do to you? Yeah, I, I, I also would be remiss to not like extol this fascination with West, West African and Central African permutations of the God of Iron. Um, yes. Um, that is so like, there's always this odd parallel, right? Like you, you're either a fire person or an iron person in these traditions. Um, <laughs> why not both? But to understand that like, it's the, it's the within Odishawa, the Shango Ogu, um, but even fire itself is so intrinsically linked to metal that before we even understand it as sky thunder deities, that the the connection of iron to to fire and wind and water as being a product of all of these natural forces that is specifically man. Yeah, this thing and the stories of Ogun as Orisha of of lusting after and eventually subduing and raping his mother, which speaks to the process of of getting iron out of the earth. And tireless work that then he imposes upon himself first after a period of isolation and like that he gets so upset from this that he gets hot-headed and runs into the woods and civilization stops because civilization is dependent upon metal. And, you know, it takes Oshun to go into the forest and get him out again, which is, you know, he tastes her honey, which is a, a lovely sexual metaphor, but that joy and moisture are necessary for iron to work. You, yeah. you know, there must be a purpose to this horrifically brutal craft of, of, of hot metal into water, um, you know, fanning the flames of the furnace to then singe it in water to keep its form harder. And that repeatedly yeah. hitting and heating and singeing and hitting and hitting and, and singeing makes something stronger. Uh, the idea that, um, the metaphor is there for warriorness and the, tr- the you know the, the difficulties of training the body in the same way, or that you know the the Yoruba swore upon iron as a a an emblem of truth that Ogu right. betray you if you if you broke the the law of iron, um, which also then can be extended to things like swearing on a knife or swearing on many things, and right. is everything yes from these from these weapons and the intrinsic relationship between the hunter deities as well as the farming deities like Oko, um, but also, the refinement that happens uh, when we get to jewelry making and things like that, that there are permutations of that, as well as, um, as like the brother there too, like the, the wet, knowing when to cut as part of uh, all this. And I think it's, you know, importantly revisiting Kauda Draconis slash uh, the Odu that's called Ogunda, you know, this metaphor of it being intrinsically tied to metal. Um, and the god of metal being Ogun, but the word for herbalism, you know, healing magic is Ogun as well. I'm not saying those tones correctly. Yoruba well. But, uh, you know, this memory of manipulating something, hammering, powdering, singeing, heating, all of that is tied into herbalism as well. And yeah, just that to hunt something and excise it from the body, whether it be bad humors or surgery, or any of the, or the art of scarification, which is a form of beautification mm-hmm. and relationship to that. Um, not necessarily through a Western eye, but certainly, you know, Ogun is anybody that works with metal, um, including wood carvers, including, you know, all doctors and all of us who use technology, Ogun becomes technology itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, is considered brutish and, and 
brutish and brutish, but like mm-hmm. also just such a lovable force of like the the person who never stops working and is uh, is considered to be like the human heart, the forge that must always keep working. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot there to not to not bring him up, and from a personal, you know, as an Alosha, as as, as someone who uh, loves Ogun deeply, um, iron iron is many things. Um, and we could talk about sky iron and a complete meteorite is its own thing. <laughs> um, but meteorite as I think, it, as we talked about in the long lost episode of Candlemas <laughs> of Lucifer and uh, the connection to the stone that fell and all the permutations of that. But there is something again, bringing back to sky iron and the Kaaba and, you know, uh, Moldavite and okay. Anyway, <laughs> tectites yep yeah that said iron proves many things and i'm sure we'll get to strength but i kind of feel compelled to listen to you a little bit about puella sure if- yeah so we kind of yeah again the combination of these like battle things of like the the hard iron and even a, a you know the, a, the maiden of orleans right so like fact, right exactly yeah 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 yeah. the maiden uh uh yeah jehen uh the maid of orleans yeah yeah precisely so this, this, and also that we've got a, a central thing going on of the just Puella seems to mark women who are marked by crosses uh, as well. Uh, that like the form of it is 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 somewhat close to a you know a a, a, a non equilateral cross um, as well as the you know a form that you could read. I, I like reading a distaff or a spindle into it as well. Uh, for me, it's a, a figure that's good for attending to powerful female dead and. Uh, you know, feminine uh, ancestral helping spirits and things like that. Uh, but it's so it's it's nice to compare. We've got like our irises on the one hand and our oris roots and our our, our, our notions of 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 uh, you know women's empowerment uh, with with Puella, the the lady figure, not just the girl, although that's a, a translation of the name, but the the woman, the the hostess, a bunch of names around the the fair of of face, the the clear cheeked complexion figure of yes gentleness and grace uh, a, a kind of duality emerges at least in the the western delineations between you know the 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 kind of virginal mother superior and the uh the the, the perfect and particularly carnal like lover uh, and so on the one hand it's it's chastity on the other hand it's uh and and, and you know pure of form figure and face is one term on the other hand it's also depict it's also translated as wench um as uh, uh <laughs> any number of the 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 the, the wealth the, the panoply the rainbow of uh english ter- uh, slang terms for women that we don't approve of also will occasionally get lodged on puella more commonly on amissio which is absolutely like the fallen woman um but even puella's uh standards that it's held to of of being chaste or of being artful uh, in the in the positive sense of like artisanship rather than crafty uh, uh still kind of belie this uh, this duality that kind of gives us a little snapshot of an awful of the last you know two thousand years of European patriarchy as well. Um, you know, you 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 have Puella as as uh, a figure that I, I think of as like standing in uh, uh, you know at the top of these this magnificent flight of stairs in a beautifully decorated mansion, bidding you welcome to like the party of your life. I think that's a that's a good like Venusian kind of uh, uh, welcoming kind of take on Puella, but. Puella also represents or, or tries to track harmonizing potentials of things. So whether that's love or craft or like community fermenting interactions and enrichments and kind of this idea of like embroidering the tapestries of beauty and grace uh, mm-hmm. with like 
kindly wit and like self-possessed charm and things like that. Um, as well as like this, the sense of like vitality of like the, the, there's a lot of like, you know, the flowers of, of, of innumerable Western uh, women's names, right. This vitality of blooming. So a figure of like soft power, as well as like potentially some pretty deadly diplomacy, you know, very social craft, right. Of, of leadership, of, uh, of, of, of pulling tensions, hopefully to weave some kind of harmonious thing that's lived and, and, and shared in some sense as well. I find this Odu very challenging one because you know this is this is in the higher ups so this is all theoretical meaning in the course of study of odu and things that these are these are things you've heard this spiel before you've heard this spiel before but we we sit at the feet of elders and we try and respectfully learn things and and in time and go through things and this is one of the odu that is ascribed to ifa almost exclusively meaning it's what it's it's it marks a pattern of energies that dilagun does not think it does not consider or doesn't see happening that often. So there's a sense of like specialization here. It's outside of the, the Odu of life. Is that a fair kind of summary? Yeah. Yeah. And without going into the, you know, that's, that's cause that's, you know, Odu of life is a very, you know, in-house in, in, in tradition term, but the, it's not, it's not in the bell curve. Right. Per se. And there's also the energies are complex and very difficult to navigate um, and are often felt to be requiring a much more cool head to deal with. They mm. raise emotions, they raise things up. These are hot Odu. Now I will say that that is because Ifa exists alongside Dilogun in Cuba. And there have been many treaties that have been hard won between different the different houses and systems of thought. And you would have to go, we would have to go into an extremely extensive a uh, survey of what Ifa is and what Ifa is not. Mm-hmm. And certainly for those of you coming from an Isheshe pra- background or modern discussion of Arisha religion, you may be more familiar with Ifa being a name for all of Arisha tradition. And I guarantee you it is not that in the diaspora or even in Nigeria, but Ifa becomes a catch-all term for Orisha. Right. or Ifa is one of the Orisha and it is a cult of diviners that started out one way and over the years has slowly incorporated every other cult into it and that's fine that is what they do but there are memories of other existences <laughs> with uh, and towns that will remind you when Arumila became an Orisha in their town like when they invited them in right. so you'll still see contests between royal lineages where you know the the Ife, Ife is saying we need to confirm your king, your next kings by using Ifa. And they're like, we've never used Ifa. We've always used Dilogun to do that. And we can tell you the song that says when you came in and we we had this mm-hmm. argument already. So I'm not trying to pose uh start fights here, but Ifa is not the same thing as Orisha, except when it is. So there are certain Odu that in Cuba, because the proximity to Ifa, there's stories about Yamayaro Shun, like divining, and then Rumila walks in and says, What, you know, what Odu are you on? And she's like 12. And he's like, Well, you can't read ever again, and you can never read above 12. But like, whatever. Like it in Brazil, there was no Ifa cult until recently. There was a memory of a Rumila, but there was not Ifa in Brazil until the 20th century. And mm-hmm. they if this falls, you have to read it. So it becomes this thing of like there's an entire tradition of appeasing and reworking with those things there. So there, just as there are houses in Cuba that did not incorpor- incorporate Ifa, and so there is memory of what to do here, and it's a highly contested thing, and it's it's difficult to to because everybody's going to have their opinion. Like, no, you can't do that. And yes, of course you can. And, um, <laughs> something that I've witnessed for as long as I've been in, in you know around an adult around the tradition. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's there. Um, 
you know, Otura is, you know, said to be the Odu of greetings and obeisances and of wisdom, and it's very close to God. But um, because there's this um, obeisances and wisdom here, there's a little bit of attitude that comes in um, where one can lose their head and become a monster in this Odu. So capricious, proud, crafty, violent, um, that you, if you do not have good character to support it, this Odu will drag you down. Um, and, and lots of talking, lots of too much talking. So there's a lot of things you can read publicly online about this Odu. And it's, you know, what's, what's born in this Odu according to, again, I'm going to use published sources so that my own elders will keep training me. The human race, blindness, equality, paternity, artillery, the rifle, songbirds, legumes, uh, intelligence that is captured through and stored in the brain. The, the travel bag of the diviners, drug addicts, the, the noise of the, the roar of the sea, um, the, the, the concept of coup, of taking over through a coup. Um, disputes were born here. Um, and the secrets and relationships between roots and branches of the same tree, which is a lot, right? There's a lot of like, wh- what is this thing? Like, yeah. It's, and because Cuban systems tend to be, it's all encompassing. This is not just like, Yes, no. It's like this is an extremely difficult concept that must be explored. It must be qualified past this mention of this meji, which then has 15 other permutations of its energy in combination with the other Odo the other meji odu. And yeah. so this it's it's almost impossible to speak of this on its own. When it's read in Dilogun in Isheshe or in Brazil, it's going to be read as a meji. And mm-hmm. it goes the Cubans would do combinations, but um it, it or you know, long, long ago would do meji as well. But there's something to all of this where you then have to qualify the orientation. Is it in an easy um, integration of this energy or a difficult integration, meaning ideo sogbo or ibi, as it's called in some in some some versions of the tradition? Mm-hmm. Uh, or and what is the source of that and how? I mean, these are all things that are studied and can be studied objectively as like what is another divination system doing to like give a full picture of how things go? And is specifically a, a, a wonder child of of the Yoruba mind here that is truly the divination system is incredibly complex. It is all left up to whim. If people know what the, what the Odu has, they can listen to someone else's reading of that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Not just because they said one or two things wrong, but like that, that, that we don't know what the system is that they're reading because it is not as, it is, it is not as um, free interpretation, let's say as tarot might be. You can be like, oh, that interpretation of the sun is off, but like, eh, sure, it's their, their reading. No, 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 that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they say that, you know, certain Orisha and herbs and everything are speaking in certain signs, then those are going to be consistent between, uh, there's four main orders of the Odu, and there's probably, you know, three or four times as many main interpretations of what those Odu mean, but they're all going to be very, there's landmarks, right? So right. very, <clears throat> but um, the Last Supper is in this. The, the the road to wealth is predicted here. So there's there's a lot of things here. Um, here it's the tongue and uh, lack of sobriety, telling people because you get high off of doing something, which is typically a female attribution, which I don't want to corroborate that, but like I can see a relationship to Puella in that way. There's no that's 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 very real, and it's 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 something I I'm 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 trying to work out how to uh, frame in a way that is helpful because on the one hand, yeah, Puella absolutely has the 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 stereotypical things that patriarchy thinks women do right gossiping uh, uh and a variety of other kind of feminine evils and on the one hand that's that's coming from a place of 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 deeply gendered uh understanding of women as inferior but it's also marking the accurate history uh of 
what those convictions produce as a society, right? It's it's delineating to say, you know, uh, these are how these oppressions have affected women versus saying these are the cooked in essentials of how women must be repressed, right? So it's, it's, it's a tricky one, but absolutely gossip and social, uh, uh, less, less henpecking and more kind of like social manipulation. Not so much on the henpecking, but delusions that there is such a thing as one way to act and be, um, mm-hmm. that others who do differently are less than you. There's a hoidiness. Um, yeah you know, uh, in, in, in towards the other, the other system towards this kind of um, umbanda kimbanda type of frame, we would say a little bit of the dasamas leaning of like condescension, uh-huh. but in a more social way. So not just with knowledge, but like culturally, we are better than them. Culturally, we are more strong. Interestingly, where you'll see written accounts of this being tied to whiteness. Uh-huh. And I bring up um, Fred Moten's line of, you know, People can yell at me for this all they want, but the the idea that whiteness is intrinsically tied to the assumption that you are, that you don't have to doubt whether or not you're right. And this idea that there's absolute truth, very much a part of this, this Odu, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You don't say what absolute truth is. And, right. Yeah. If, 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 if Duella doesn't have something to queen about, it will make something to queen about. Yeah. Oh, the Alteza influence. Okay, wonderful. Mm. So, you know, and there's, it's just you need to work on pride. Um, good character is a, hu- a huge emphasis in all signs, but in these higher signs, good character is your only salvation. Mm. You know, be grateful for the good that people do to you, and and never forget those who helped you in your problems. Do not forget where you come from. Mm. Do not be unhumble in this; right. it will be a problem. Um, and also, this there's problems in this odu of as as written about publicly on things like oshayifayok.com. Um, um, just, uh, saving my own head as it were, <laughs> separating yourself from the, the acknowledgement that you don't, you didn't come by everything on your own. Right. Left of mind issue. Like mm-hmm. even if you say you're self-taught, you're not self-taught. Someone mm-hmm. wrote a book that you picked up and read <laughs> recommended that book to you. That person's influential of your success as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it cries the bootstraps thing. It, mm-hmm. it fights against that. And mm-hmm. it also fights against arrogance and colonialism and a lot of other things. It mentions like how defeating that that will be in this sign. Accruing yeah. of wealth is not necessarily an inherently bad thing, but if it's constantly at the cost of other people, yeah. um, you know, and we can go into, into Marxist attitudes about that because that's totally wonderful to complicate with. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, you know, in this sign, it's one of the things that World Wealth is going to test you to see what your character is before your blessings are given, because you already have so many blessings of wit and knowledge and things like that. And like, are you a dick or are you like, are you like, let's use that sexist code of language there. Are you just a nasty person? Mm-hmm. Uh, in which case it's sure it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be like a raccoon trying to wash cotton candy. <laughs> right. There's nothing there to to shine. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's plenty more to say. Again, this is understanding of Otura Meji as promoted um, in public sources. I think the shells, the Dilogun Odu is, of course, slightly different. And so we, we have to be careful to compare it solely with those things, with the 13, 14, 15, 16, um, or even between signs in the same way that some people would feel it's as different as like Geomancy Tuifa or Ramal or any of the other permutations of a, of a homoformic sign. I do think it's important to, I, again, let, let's look at the, the confluences of things here. And again, if, if, if 
Older with something you're interested in. in the same way that yes, there's lots of resources for geomancy out there. But if you're interested in like Arabic geomancy, like you're gonna have to find someone to study under. And I would say I would venture that to get fully out of, and I'll promote Al here. If you're looking to study, you know, European geomancy, like you're still gonna build off of what's out there, and you're still gonna want those historical sources to study. So those become your mentors. If you're able to find someone living that you jive with and can, you know, um, Al, who you who are both familiar with historical things and are also developing new associations, correspondences, and things like that through studying the what's out there. Yeah. That's still a form of mentorship to take classes in the same way that these traditional um, descriptions to Odu, like there are 40 million, 40 million Orisha practitioners on the, in the world that all believe in Odu um, in some, in some form or another, you can go find one to study under. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. but and again, a great and again you're going to get a, a fuller picture of even if you only study that one figure with them, if, if they even let you do that, uh, you're going to get a fuller picture because they have a, they're coming from a, a a developed practice where this has to fulfill community functions and interpersonal uh, 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 arrangement. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the the proof is in the pudding there, right? Like the communities are still going and they're still using it. And it's like, okay, right. that, that's important too, because that's how we're able to make new associations, not just through the wisdom of one person who might understand it, but their communal affirmation that yeah. this, this was correct when this was read in this way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you Th- that. Can mirror to reflect back, refine, and build the solar battery of knowledge that can then dis- disseminate and make more is is beautiful. And part of these, when it's a living tradition, is is really tr- don't try and separate the knowledge from the culture. It will fail every time. It will turn. You will be uh, someone invoking demons from another system, and you'll still be your system, even as much as you you know think that you've added a little bit of cilantro to what you're doing. Right. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've done your own palette a disservice at that point. So what struck you brought up this point with um this kind of remind me of the Farah face, and then there was a contrast to something else there, the kind of Oh, with Puella, yeah, yeah. That it's it's most commonly chastity, the maid, the immaculate one, but there are these other connotations of like voluptuousness, of like uh, yeah, a lot of Madonna whore kind of uh, uh, tensions of like, the sex will be really good, but you shouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> At least that's how a bunch of these Christian geomancers are putting it. That's fascinating. So I, it, with the strength card, obviously there's there's so much history to this card, but the 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 rider weight and then the thousands, if not millions of hundreds of thousands, at least that's accurate. I think tarot decks that have been developed in, in reference to the rider weight, ultimately where strength, which is number eight, sometimes nine, uh, sometimes eleven. That's what it is. Yeah, that's um, that's the that's the Golden Dawn slash Crowley switch, right? So it uh, aligns yeah. more with the zodiacal belt, which still has to do yeah. a little like uh, a little. Which is you know, the lemnus get over her head, um, yes. as if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that strength as eight uh, in, involves a woman uh, prying open a lion's mouth or subduing a lion somehow. And there seems to be a kind of Herculean reference here in the past where it's a woman with a broken column or a person with a lion that then gets combined by the time we get to things like the Ferrara Forteza uh, image, where now there's a woman who's clad in armor who has the lion with a broken column, which still speaks of Hercules in some way. But also, I think, you know, yes, there's the the cardinal virtues, right, of temperance, justice, and the strength is is fortitude originally. Mm -hmm makes perfect sense but that fortitude becomes strength and eventually lust for for the crowley deck 
we also have to acknowledge that force itself becomes female in most of the romance languages. Right, la forza, yeah. And so that this allegory that started being developed in the medieval and, and um, early modern period to depict her as an abstract concept is going to follow the gender of the word. Mm. And that might seem weird, I think, in English speaking countries where their words aren't individually gendered in that way. But there is something super strong about a woman who can pry open a, a lion's jaw, of yeah. course. Um, and so I, I just think about that too, of like, you know, it's one of the arguments behind like Santisma Muerte and why is it female? Well, death is female in, in Spanish. And there's, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean death is always female, but like, if you're going to have an allegory that's there. It's already cooked in. It's it's having some relationship to that. It's reified by the language itself. Yeah. 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 Cultura as, as a mother. It's really interesting to see the history of the card being literally this kind of distillation or this kind of combination of the the two primary kind of ways of of showing, which is either a person fighting a lion or besting it in some way, or yeah, this 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 maiden with the with the tower or with with the mural crown sometimes even, but with or, or the pillar, and that like there seems a, a a testing out of like you say this 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 notion of a, a the woman herself being armored with the with the strength of a city, and that thus is is has a lion as a companion or as a steed. Or is just there as well, and then the, the then the, the the reformulation of that as this this idea of like all sorts of beauty in the beast stuff, right? Of of her uh, being of of innocence being able to to temper the the wild passions of the of, of the bestial and of the uh, and the powerful. There's there's uh, uh, I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole looking at other depictions of uh, a maiden and a lion, and there's a. There's a British tale of Una and the Lion, yes. which is a, a poem that, that that speaks of this um, this daughter. This this, this she's, she's she's a Disney princess, right? She's a, a a daughter of a king and queen who's imprisoned, despite you know being you know having all these puella qualities of youthful, beautiful, and innocent. She's imprisoned by a dragon, and and is, uh, after being uh, uh, imprisoned by her her parents as well in some accounts. And on her journey, she comes across this ferocious lion and we have the kind of uh prefiguring of the 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 of Jesus and the lion as well a little bit here but the lion is said to be so taken and so like enraptured by her innocence that uh it decides to you know rather than eat her to be her like kind of guardian and companion and so this idea of uh a variety of like um like an inversion of the unicorn thing right that the that the source of innocence and 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 and, and piety by purity i suppose and like uh inherent goodness we might say and fairness is itself a a defining locus about which interactions with the world and its its ferocities can be if not tempered then 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 leveraged right because we're not talking about temperance here we're talking about like fortitude and what it means to to go forth strongly as opposed to justice or or even prudence right which is in there as well sometimes I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Spencer's Fairy Queen, which is a whole other source of Una. But um, yeah, I just Una is a big thing because right because the tie to the Fairy Queen, but then also the use by Victoria mm. as like, replacing herself in the Una image, but the lion being the the totem of England and the unicorn of of the Scot Scotland. Yeah. Um, also, there's a beautiful what is it? Uh, it's a 2012 ish. I saw a coin recently. Someone had it's Una. That's uh, Minted to commemorate the Diamond Jubilee of, of the Queen, but it also uh, echoes the same the same coin from the 19th century of Una and the Lion on with Victoria's mm. side. Um, the 
Yeah, the Victoria by the grace of God. Queen of the Britons, defender of faith, whatever. Right, again, this this reformulation uh, of a warrior queen, right, in a different way. It's It's got yeah. all these Athenian qualities, but also there's a there's a lion now, not a, <laughs> uh, not, a um, not a not an owl. It's not Athens. This is, you know, the, the, the seat of Londinium, but it still like has to look like a, a, a powerful lady warrior queen yeah. leading us to victory. Victoria, still, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the victorious city, um, which mm. is, but hey, and then also with, within the, the strength card always reminds me of that line from um, gospel of Thomas. Uh, lucky is the lion that the human will eat so that the lion becomes human and foul is the human that the lion will eat and the lion will still become human. <laughs> so it's like, which is in some ways like, you know, discernment, knowing you're not inviting everyone to your feast uh, mm. quite literally here, but that, you know, the, the human can uh, dominate over their perhaps emotional animalistic and the, there's an elevation that comes with that. The, you know, it's worse if the emotions overcome the body and the lion now walks in the guise of a human body and what that is. And there's like, there's right. so many implications to this, but it's such a classically Thomasinian, like, let me fuck with you a little bit. I, I love this card in the Toth deck. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the card of divine drunkenness and ecstasy. Yeah. 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 You know, flame with just, you know life as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this intrinsic flow between the reader, the one using the cards, and like the magician card and 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 the lust card. Right. Is okay, strength, power, vitality, sure. All that shit is great. But hmm. there and like whether you're gonna do okay, you know, if, oh, I don't know. I it just the fact that it becomes Babylon riding the beast and where whereby there is no separation between Babylon and the beast, and then right the blood of the saints is literally kind of what she is and is writing and that the heads of the beast are different saints and that, you know, the, the, the container is also what it contains and the intrinsic material nature of, of Babylon and the red lady in all of this, that, you know, she with the flaming hair is flame itself and uh, Sangreal to the max, right? Like Sangreal and Sangreal, the Holy blood, Holy grail is the Holy blood. Yeah. Um, and I just, there's something to this. And the minute you bring in lust, um, my little, little nineties chaotic heart is still going to hear lust of result as being something. Mm-hmm. void. And the right. four needed to like do effective magic, which is just bringing about any desired change, but not just that, you know, it, it's something that's inherently magical is not necessarily make it magic. Let's be very clear, but, sure. but in the shift of that lion to the beast, right. We, we who's still Leonine, uh, and that's not an invention of, of 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 Crowley either. Like, despite having the you know the seven heads and being draconic, it's also you know been a the whore of Babylon has been riding a a lion type thing since at least you know the 15th century. But this this almost this idea of like in doing that we aren't just doing the the satanic inversions of of now the beast is our our savior. We're, we're also looking at what it is to move away from a. Oh, uh, a psychomachic model of the war of the soul against these base animal urges uh, to an integration of of the interplay between them and how, uh, you know, it, it, even down to, you know, one modern summary reading I was going through arguing that strength is about combining two strengths to overcome a weakness. 
this idea of yeah the the inseparability of 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 the the scarlet woman arrayed in the sun and the the beast of seven heads and itself the grail that she bears and and to which all of the you know the uh, the, the 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 tentacles of of heaven uh, uh point towards on that card yeah there's something about you know having come from fortune and you know incorporating external influence into your life um the good the bad and the otherwise mm. by the time we get to lust there can be and although you know bringing up the lion of thomas like it is not just about s- to separate the wheat from the chaff they have both have to be brought up they can't you can't just condemn the the chaff as it were you can't just say like these are qualities i don't like about myself you can't listen to external labels at all when it comes to that you have to fully go into them and you discern for yourself what is going to be rising to the top but i think there's a huge part of that with lust right like lust is is something that is described as a vice throughout our our western history but in this case is something far more than than just carnal lust although it can stop at carnal lust if you want it to and the idea that you you know it's not segregation but integration that is being sought and that integration will allow certain things to to find order but you have to impose that order you know what is it to be headless and figure that out all that type of yeah of, yeah, yeah yeah so you know i i i like this card it's fun mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's yeah. it's beautifully done um and i like that it's both hair and blood and tongue and you know collar and um, womb and tomb and you know there's there's a lot there um so yeah. i i tend to this is a lovely card it feels yeah. good um both in the classic sense of the rider weight and uh to me even more there are many crowley permutations and i'm like meh whatever this is one of those I was like yes give me this this is great right yeah um, yeah, yeah 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 the babylon is bigger than 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 specifically a thelemic formula but there's an awful lot to these thelemic uh, formulas to 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 explore and to motivate and to uh to redden the blood right yes oh and and if we're talking uh babylon mysteries then i i i i think i'd be remiss without uh pointing out that uh, i believe uh, our good friend uh sarah wood has a a class that's still available on the uh salem witchcraft and folklore festival site i believe on uh babylon as mother of abominations um i think it was through the festival uh and is on the 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 archives either there or for the cauldron black and so folks want you know have 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 some appetite whetted for some 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 babylon mystery stuff i'd I'd highly recommend they check out sarah's uh uh, really brilliant uh meditations on that yeah i also seem to think that we might have um, we might have a proposed topic for her in, uh, you know, a, a, a guest appearance in the December region to to bring in said red. Yes. Um, and more red, more red ladies, more red. Red lady ladies. and the ladies of revelation. That is the woman clothed with the sun in the feast of Guadalupe. So now that I've spoken it, we have to do it. Um, <laughs> Sarah. See you soon, Sarah. <laughs> um, so, awesome. yes, so it, it, there's something just wonderfully beautiful that flows from that. So other than Joan and Iris being a flower and the, the prompt of, oh, let's do a cunning woman. Not other than just, would you care to give a, a quick summation of, of Joan Flower and her her daughters and the, the larger trial implication yeah. of what that is? 
for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, nothing, nothing, nothing taxing. <laughs> <laughs> so mostly what we know about Joan Flower and occasionally flowers, they're called the flowers uh, a little bit sometimes, um, and both his individual name and, 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 and to refer to the, the family as a collective. Uh, they're another one of these cunning women slash accused witches that we mostly know about through the accusations and the trial records themselves, which get nasty and uh, uh an awful lot of uh you know sister turning against sister sister you know daughter turning against mother and so on but in essence uh a group of women uh referred to as the witches of, of beaver which is is spelled belvoir b-a-l-v-o-i-r but i'm reliably informed is is, is pronounced beaver after the castle uh, of the Earl of Rutland so these witches of of, of beaver are um primarily the, the flowers Joan flower and her daughters Margaret and Philippa Margaret and they are accused of witchcraft in uh England after the deaths of the two sons of Francis Manners the sixth Earl of Rutland uh Henry the younger dies in in 1613 and Francis follows in in 1620 so they're the heirs to to Francis Manners the sixth Earl of Rutland and his that the, 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 their kind of seat of power is is, is Beaver Castle so the story is, is basically that the after a, a, a primarily a, a kind of wage dispute, an unfair dismissal of uh, being um, workers in the in the castle, that um, the flowers are accused of witchcraft uh, owing to the deaths of the, the 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 sons of the earl, and they are sent to trial. Um, uh, Joan herself dies on the way to trial, and her two daughters are supposedly hanged in in Lincoln it's it's said that one of the daughters actually drugs the guards and, and manages to escape but what's 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 important to know about them in short is that they're a, a family that were known to be healers of some sort uh so the flower might be a, a an old term for those who, who go and gather the flowers of the meadow and things so there's all sorts of mythic stuff that gets read into that but they're a local family that's like said to have fallen on hard times they accept employment as uh as servants up at the castle for the earl and the countess uh, which is near Grantham in Lincolnshire, and they're only called in when additional staff are needed for an upcoming visit by the, by by uh, James the first. And apparently, they don't get on well with the rest of the staff. They're very unpopular, Joan and her and her, her daughters. Uh, and there are even suggestions of theft and various other misdemeanors. And so, as a result, they're all dismissed, and only uh, Joan is given uh, a, a meager uh, severance package uh, that she's not happy with. There's like a she's given like a pillow and 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 a mattress and. Um, what is it? Uh, 40 shillings. Um, so after they're dismissed, uh, so so classic setup for a, are they cunning women? Are they witches? Uh, after something horrible happens to them, uh, something ha- horrible happens to their employers. Uh, the Earl and the Countess themselves fall ill um, with convulsions and they're said to ah, call back. They're said to do a bunch of vomiting as well. Their son, Henry, dies and is buried uh, in September the youngest, the younger children, Francis and the daughter Catherine, also seems to suffer. And Francis uh, dies uh, in March of 1620. So it's a bunch of suffering over a number of years. And three years after Henry's death in in July of 1616, there are nine other women. <laughs> it's there's something in the air that are hanged as witches in Leicestershire. Uh, for having bewitched a young boy specifically. And these charges are very similar, and it seems uh, especially around having cats as familiar spirits, uh, which the flowers are all said to have, uh, along with uh, a mole as well, a moldywomp, which is a wonderful word. Um, But it's like five years after they've been dismissed that the second son dies, and then the Rutlands have the flowers arrested 
uh, just before Christmas in 1618. Uh, and after initial examinations by February of the following year, the women are taken to, to Lincoln jail. So when Flowers is arrested, there's, there's another part to her like uh, witch legend, which is that when she's arrested, she, she professes her innocence. Um, and while she isn't known as someone that's like regularly in, in, in the churches, she, she appeals to this old custom that um, if she can have bread as a substitute when she's given the Eucharist, that this will prove that um, she can take, you know, the whole body of Christ uh, and not uh, suffer and therefore not have the devil in her. So she she uses it as this like trial by Eucharist, essentially. The, the trouble is, according to the story, that she actually chokes on that bread, on that supposedly blessed, blessed bread that a witch could never consume and dies supposedly like after the first bite. So she's kind of taken out of the picture and but still kind of haunts the rest of the proceedings as her daughters steadily kind of like one of them blames her for all of it, the, the mother for all of it. And the other kind of says, oh, I was doing it, but only on behalf of the other two. Um, and so by the time they get to um, Lincoln, Margaret's accused her mother of witchcraft. Philip has admitted to doing it on behalf of Margaret, Joan and herself. And they're specifically said to have entered into communion with with familiar spirits that, um, you know, help them do their their stuff. The chief of these and, and my favorite to, to talk about is the mother's familiar, who is a cat named Rutterkin. Uh, and the women admitted various things that they stole the glove of the Lord Ross and gave it to their mother, who did a variety of things with people's gloves and also with the thatch and the bedding that they had or pieces of the bedding. Uh, she would bury it in ant hills, which is classic Saturnine work of of flensing bones, yes, but of also like ensuring that things stink and malinger in their in their miasmas. Uh, the the glove was said to have been pricked by pins. There's a heavy use of pins again said to have been boiled at various points, uh, as well as worn. And this is the, the death by, by belly rubs. It was worn and the belly of the cat was stroked, uh, which seems to be a sympathetic action of sending the cat out, um, that it now has the scent. But there's also some stuff about then burying the, the glove again and pricking it a bunch. Supposedly, there's some incantations that are either heard around the castle or even found written down um, that caused Lord Ross to become ill. There are more attempts to harm uh, Lady Catherine, the, the Earl's daughter as well. And there's even the the, the, the classic of getting the the quill. Uh, oh yeah, that's it. They use the feathers from some of the um, the quilt uh, of the of the down uh, again to work magic uh, on a personal concern of the bedding, which you know they would have had great access to as maid servants. So it's again this fear of like maid servants being able to reach out and touch their employees after being allegedly treated unfairly. In the course of the uh, investigation, the examination, the flowers also reveal a variety of other women that I alluded to earlier, um, Anne Baker of Botsford, uh, Ellen Green of Statham, and, uh, and and old Joan Willamont of, uh, of Godby. And they're all taken into examination as well. And they also start talking about the visions and uh, the trafficking with familiar spirits. Uh, other Joan, Joan Willamont, says that her familiar was called Pretty, which is just adorable. And that it had been blown into her mouth by a former master in the form of a fairy, later appearing in the form of a woman who asked her to give up her soul. Um, and, and Joan says she refused, uh, which is I, I love that the, the, when it when it comes down to questioning, they're like, oh, sure, there was there was the option of, uh, of selling my soul. But I didn't. Uh, but I did keep working with the spirit that asked me if I wanted to cash in my soul because they seem very nice uh, once we got that whole soul business sorted out. 
Uh, and Wilma also explicitly testifies as more of a cunning woman. Um, she 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 talks about her familiar in a in a really interesting way. I've got the the quote here, uh, which is that she uh, she never hurt anybody, but did help diverse peoples who were stricken or forespoken, like bewitched, right? And that her spirit came weakly to her and would tell of diverse persons that were stricken and forespoken. And she said that the use which she had of the spirit was to know that uh, know those did which she had undertaken to amend and she did help them by certain prayers which she used which is like the classic no i'm not a witch i i just know some herbs and i pray for people and i can see when they've been affected by witchcraft and so the flowers form this ongoing set of cases that are both influenced by other like witch trials that are going on and go on to influence an awful lot of them but at core represent um a lot of the features that uh, wise women are, are, or a lot of the the conditions that wise women are, are subject to historically, as well as the perspective of them as, you know, what, what we know and what we don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any clear accounts on exactly why they don't get on, whether it's more about not getting on with the other staff or about if they're already being accused of of doing, you know, uh, unpious, uh, impious magics. The combination of like the deep personal history stuff we've got in here, as well as the the impersonal churn and tide of events uh, is just, I think, a, a really fascinating example of of where women find themselves um, seeking to uh, battle for their own, you know, justice against the 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 impositions of of authority and, and and people in authority over you, versus what that looks like when that fear of women's power can be weaponized against you. So I'm as I'm saying this, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is our this is our case, and here are things I already find interesting about it. Um, hooray, cursing your former bosses by giving your cat belly rubs. But I'm 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 thinking about how this, how we may be able to retroactively, you know, 2020 hindsight, uh, say like, oh, and of course it had to be Joan Flowers because this speaks of, you know, the the mysteries of of some Puella mystery stuff, some, uh, uh, you know, this notion of like less clear audience and when we don't hear right when rumor and uh and 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 worries about witches abroad uh creates tensions and panics and turns familial bonds to uh the most keenly felt when betrayed i mean one of the things that's coming up because you, you know the whole like you were saying the notion of flowers can be the people that gather flowers and it is a it's not a popular topic but one that does seem to be embraced more and more especially um as people Outside of the neo-pagan revival and its dependency upon the Anglospheric history, Anglo English language history and, and mythology that's been developed as part of the neo-pagan revival, that it is not inaccurate to say that people who worked with plants were victimized and told as witches, were called witches during um, this greater period of history. It is also dangerous to say that that was what all of them were. Right, right. They were, all, they were not all herbalists. And this wasn't just a war on medicine. This was a war on people in general of, of, of so many minority groups of a, a war on, on Jews at the start, a war on Cathars at the start that turned into something that was let's attack every minority group we can. And eventually becomes it, you know, there is this concept. And I think um, as I pointed out before, Julia over at Occulta does a really good job of going this into her lectures, but there's a difference of equating something that is not calling someone non-human Mm. We have to re-emphasize this accusation of witchcraft is to take away your humanity yeah. in accusation. This is not sorcery. This is not trafficking with spirits. You're a witch. You are no longer human. You have no rights. Right, You're right. You have no property. 
Your property is now seized. You are an you are an abomination and an affront against everybody that wants to live and get mm-hmm. to heaven. So yeah. this accusation of witchcraft is even more than sorcery. This is a means of seizing property, of flattening and leveling minority groups, minority uh, minority languages, minority cultures, immigrants, um, minority religions. This is, it's really important to emphasize that I think when discussing things like these happen to be herbalists, they happen to be women. Um, And that is an important part of this. But let's not forget how profoundly sinister and insidious this accusation of witchcraft as a political crime that Mm -hmm. was developed in the 13th and 14th centuries in Iberia and transfers hugely into a way to gain property, status, um and uh give a whole bunch of like fund a military war complex that was right. just so i thank you joan flowers for bringing that up in my in my head i also th- you know it's interesting this kind of conflation between something that you know we fire someone and we were perhaps unfair to them and now we feel a guilt that we're now mm-hmm. going to react by saying like well she witched us now um, right 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 why do i feel bad about this oh it must be because i'm being tortured by you know uh witchcraft um <laughs> If and if a, I was in this position, I'd totally curse me. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. it's the the impotence of man being like, okay, you're not impotent because, you know, you're a peasant in the 1400s and like life is just hard and that you're lusting after someone that you're, you're feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, accuse her of stealing your nature and then now you can get an erection again. Like, come on. But <laughs> the nature of it, you brought this up before of, you know, there's a lovely, because we don't use the word until recently quite as much this whole concept of cunning person mm. and the the intrinsic history of wicca being tied up into like even references to the cunning morale right mm-hmm. uh, not, not hugely so just it's part of the fanciful lore that that wicca guises itself in 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 justifying its history as something other than created from the brilliance of gardner and valiente and others like them that there's something can be based in tradi- like uh what was put in that documentary in the full core documentary of where the woman was basically just referencing how popular media and other things, which is a great way to talk about our next uh, speakeasy, um, mm-hmm. that that media itself, that that witch hunting bills, that the Malleus Maleficarum, that um, Discovery of Witchcraft is popular media. Um, yeah. And this reintegrates integrates and reinvigorates the very practices they're trying to get away from and even may not have actually existed at all. And are right. now they do exist because they've been written about and named. So now yes. people are looking to the very texts that are trying to promote, you know, parroting. Because I love it when 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 Scott gets described as period parodying of mm. making parody of it by hyperbolizing it, and now that just gets taken in for you know, well, this is what was going on, and people are using that in the same way that Gardner's proposing that High Magic Aid, a fiction book, becomes like actually documenting the truth of his of his tradition. Um, High Magic Aid. It feels very much like what punk owes to dare, right? Or like any number of those uh, conservatives threatening us with a good time kind of angles, right? Uh, you see it. You see it with the ranters as well. The 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 um, milieu of of mystic anarchists um, that that uh, crop up around the English Revolution. Uh, yeah, that that the conservatives argue that they either didn't exist or they were purely an invention of the yellow press like tabloids of the time being like, did you know England has, has gone so far with this experiment with Commonwealth that some people are preaching naked? Uh, but th- the fact is that even hearing about that meant more people went, okay, that's a thing we can do. Like, uh, yeah, the, 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 the bad news travels incredibly fast. 
and that <laughs> uh, the demonologist spilled ink will be the Rorschach for the next generation of baby witches. Another, because th- we do tangent on Discovery Witchcraft, and you know those two sigils, um, which I've seen a lovely amount of, of flaring up over the last six to eight months of people claiming that they were the first one to ever tattoo them on their hand. Oh, the one um, for, for, for homage and the one to fear no spirit, but God. Yeah. Yes. Fear no one, but God. Is it fear no spirit, but God, or fear no one, but God? I think it's fear no one, right? There's a couple. Yeah, there's, there's a couple. No one is the more common one, but then, no, the, one, you know, the thing owing to, oh, I, I, I've, been, I've been looking at them because owing to Phil Legard's excellent uh, legwork of research on looking at chrismons and the, we're pretty sure they come from the markings uh, above the door on the inside and on the outside of churches. Uh, and so inside it's fear no one but God and outside it's uh, do homage to all spirits to get you to church. Ah, that's fun. Um, but yeah, they've been cropping up a lot more. You've got uh, Gemma Gary using them and like- Because of sigils, as, you, as you've said many times. <laughs> so of course it's going to be used in the English reading world if you're interested in, in magic. Yeah. Uh, and being that there's two, it would be a common thing to ascribe them to right and left or inside and outside, or perhaps tattoo them on your flesh. And I, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've considered getting them as hand tattoos. And yeah. Or like forearms. I'm actually yeah. glad you didn't start that trend. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was thinking about the other day because I, in, in reading kind of these like mini witch wars that were going on and just be like, wow, there's some strong opinions here. I was like, man. What if fear no one would, but God is not the humility we think it is, but the person actually has no fear of any other than God and therefore is hubristic and completely full of themselves. And it was like, is yeah. that, like hmm, maybe that sigil is not what we think it is. Right, um, right, right. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I would be like, hey, I too have these sigils tattooed on me. We are friends now, but that is not the common parlance when these happen. Mm-hmm. I have a I have, I have a colleague who I'm I'm very jealous of uh, got the um uh, the Sorthi Sorthos Sorthos um the the shield that's in Scott uh, speaking of like other seals that exist the uh it's one of the breastplates of uh protection that you can do in in um uh in parchment uh, it's uh, detailed in the Baal for us working but also in various other bits and pieces and it's also one of the things that you pray uh the historiographer of the Magi over to ask that I'm about to do something dangerous and summon a demon. If I'm about to do something not only dangerous, but stupid, please send uh, an angel like you did to the Magi to tell them not to go to Herod, but to go via a different route. If I need some like uh, uh, in the moment on the ground course correction. And there's those seals of the earth as well, that we're not the, the, the triangular ones and the lozenge shaped ones that I'm still not entirely sure where they're coming from. But again, turn up in a lot of the pentacle law uh, and things like that. Okay, so so Ms. Joan, Ms. Jean d'Arc, uh, mm-hmm. her last name is just Dark, which is why don't we play? Like, you know, um, uh, her a- father is 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 Monsieur Tart in some of the uh, the, the the trial transcriptions as well, which is also kind of fun. Um, okay, so Joan of Arc and Joan Flower, the two Joans, the feast of the twin Joans. This 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 maiden that carries the staff of iron into battle, who is rewarded with the gift of iron, but feels its um its corresponding uh enemy right the 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 fire uh that forged it uh, oh yeah is punished by the you know are you an iron or a flame child Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and someone who uh starts off someone who starts off by hearing 
voices hearing Michael and the and and uh Catherine and Margaret, but then ends her life by fixating visually upon the crucifix. It's fascinating that again, that division between lightning and thunder, the vision and the voice, uh Claire audience and clairvoyance mm. uh, is there. Uh the the wielding the banner of the fleur de lis, um, <laughs> but perhaps as Iris, the rainbow messenger, um, the flower of the rainbow messenger. Uh, who communicates between gods and men and is rewarded, or you know, rewards us with our prayers being answered to to the probation, the the testing probation as probar, right? My head went dual there. Probation and testing of of the veracity or truth by testing it with iron, to mm-hmm. pricking of the witch's needle against the flesh to see if you are indeed a witch, um, mm-hmm. perhaps just someone with property that I want, um, <laughs> and. Uh, and to ask what kind of woman is uh, it stands before us? Is this a is this a a lily dagger I see before me? <laughs> oh, and then the the strength card, right? This this you know what prize open the the lion's mouth? What that notion that it is easier to hold an alligator's sh- jaw shut than to push it closed? Right, um, right, 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 right. Prevention is better than cure. <laughs> um, fortitude and what that means. What is forza? There's something really fun flowing between all of those things. Yeah, yeah. What it is to 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 dance and to fight for things that are bigger than you, uh, and to what it is to be held to those promises that are made when we hear those things and respond. Well then, um, I would say we've wrapped up this ramble. <laughs> yeah, an all terrain again. Yeah, uh, in 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 celebration of further rambles, it'd be great to give people a little more information as we're putting it together of uh, the 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 coming speakeasy. Yes, absolutely. Which- which is indeed Friday, the 14th of July. Uh, we'll be announcing uh, our, our cast of uh, ne'er-do-wells who've agreed to, to to come on board for this one soon. So I won't go into the specifics of that. But uh, our plan is is very much to ask, where is the lie? And to have a, a prompt theme, jump off topic, uh, uh, overarching umbrella to, to, to muster under of considering magic, uh, witchcraft and and sorcery and and the folklores of uh, all the things that we as uh, fancy necromancers like to talk about for our online cabaret, this this uh, speakeasy of the dead, around fiction and how storytelling, how game playing, and how tale spinning uh, can influence and be influenced by our magics. For the for for outside of the the confines of time, for those listening to this past the speakeasy, just check out speakeasyofthedead.com. Um, and RadioFreeGolgotha.com. It will explain more of these, and if it's something that you're interested in, in in joining us in the future, sign up for the, hopefully by the time you hear this, you know, some type of mailing list that will alert you to such things, where we're supposedly figuring out technology and our in our Luddite-ness and, and you know, uh, a forthcoming Patreon, um, you know, even though it'll be blanked out of the Instagram um, <laughs> rhythm. <laughs> but uh, many things in store for RFG, and we're we're excited for it. And thank you so much for for being here. You can find us at, at RadioFreeGolgotha.com, SpeakeasyTheDead.com. We have a Facebook uh, group called Folk Necromancy, which just answer the damn questions and answer them in, in like corresponding answers. The, the first one is like why you're why you're interested in folk necromancy. The second one is, do you agree that di- different opinions are okay and you're not going to be a horrible person and like tell everybody that they're wrong and uh i just gave you the answers so just put both <laughs> i had this thing that was like if you put yes to both i was like you can't even read it like really yeah. no 
So uh, there's that. There's um, our Facebook official radio RFG page where we do try and do announcements. Uh, again, we do have lots of plans and more guests, and we're excited for those. We are trying to commit and are mildly successful thus far. Um, even have this the the next episode being recorded soon, so that mm-hmm. we kept an episode a month, which is has not felt nearly as taxing as it used to. So no, no, it's been great. Yeah. So thank you uh, to the guests that have come and to the guests of the future. And if you're you know interested in being a guest, please don't send us an invitation. We'll invite you. <laughs> um, uh, we don't do promotions in the same way, although we always promote our guests in other ways on our personal accounts and otherwise. Yeah. So it's not just to promote a book. It's, it's for something, uh, larger Sesame Street and you've got to be comfortable with it. Anyway, thank you, dear listener. And, and those that hate us for listening this far to try and find things to trip us up on. Uh, <laughs> it is a pleasure to be heard. Uh, it's a pleasure to spend time with you, Al. And Thank you, Joan of Arc, and great Aunt Claudia, because I know you had a thing for uh, Joan of Arc and gave my dad a little Joan of Arc uh, something somewhere that I just remembered. Sorry. Ancestry is powerful. And happy feast of the two Jones and everything that we've talked about. Uh, better to carry a lance than to be carried by one. I like that. I like All that right. a lot. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much. See you soon.